Welcome to the Metalheads Podcast. My name is George. This is Jay. This is John. This is Matt. This is Marcus on. And we are joined today by Mark Deeks of Arth. Welcome, Mark. Hi, how are you doing? All the way from the UK. Yeah. I yeah. Also, could I also wish a welcome to your copy of a Witchfinder General album out there behind you, Matt? Good spot. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, you see that down there in the corner? <laughs> That's a really good spot. <laughs> um. So, Mark, last month you released the first Arth album, full-length album, Take Up My Bones, on Prophecy Productions. Congratulations on that. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. We're going to talk about the album, but first I want to start by going back to your beginnings and then work up to it. So, I want to know, how old were you when you first started playing music? <laughs> I, was, I was five. So, when I started playing piano, like a lot of people, I guess... You know, piano lessons when uh-huh. I was a kid, and I wasn't forced into it. There was a piano in the house, and my parents had both tried to play um, when they were younger, and both sort of struggled with it. Neither of them were particularly sort of naturals at it, but the piano was there. And uh, when I was a really small child, sort of like a lot of kids do, sort of reaching up and making a noise on it. And so when when I got to five, they said, "Let's see how he takes to a lesson. No pressure, no expectation." Found a local teacher, and here we are, nearly four years later. <laughs> wow. Oh. That's great. I don't know too many people that started that early. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I was really lucky, though. There's, there's, there are a lot of things I'm absolutely useless at, but piano playing just seems to come really naturally to me. So I had, like, so we called them the grades in, in the UK and, like, qualifications. So I had my grade 8 when I was 12, which was pretty young. Um, and then and then I discovered rock music, which was great, because that meant oh. I didn't have to, like, worry about... Um, having to set any more exams and, mm-hmm. and get let that get in the way of my love of rock music or football or girls. So yeah, right. the exams were already done. <laughs> so then how old were you when you started listening to rock and metal music? Um, I was about 14, I think. So kind of an average age, not too young, not too mm-hmm. old. And um, yeah, I had a, a, a guy who was two doors away from me who was like a, a year or two older than me. So I guess, you know, we often turn to friends who who've discovered it a little bit before us or a, a relative or whatever, who, who's a little bit ahead of the curve on us. And um, yeah, so it was, I guess, like a lot of um, early influences for a lot of people. Started playing me like Metallica and Megadeth and Anthrax and um, Ministry were an early band and um, Pantera. And so I guess like a lot, a lot of the fairly standard bands um, first get a lot of people into music. There was a, um, a library in uh, the centre of the city where I'm from, Newcastle, at one time, the, like a cassette library, so you like you borrow borrow tapes, and uh, so I had this guy a couple of doors away from me, and a guy at school who was into rock music, sort of saying, "Oh, you 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 should get this out, you should get this out." So I just keep keep going to the library on the way home from school and borrowing tapes, and because my parents weren't into uh, rock and metal music at all, so um, mm-hmm. I, I was on my own. In fact, you know, now some thirty years later, that they, they still think it's a phase that I'm going to grow out of. So. <laughs> yeah, your parents think that about. 
everything you do as you get older. Yeah. Like, oh, he, he won't like that much longer. Like yeah, I yeah. do it for a living. So well, yeah, my, yeah, absolutely. my parents are at that acceptance phase where now they're like, Oh, I saw this thing about heavy metal and I thought you oh, might yeah. be interested in this. <laughs> and you know, and it's like, and then it's something completely lame. That's the worst part. They're like, yeah. do you like that band? Uh, Slipknot. <laughs> yeah. hey, Mark, we go. Do your, do your parents listen to your stuff? Do they, do they comment on it? So, the, so this is the strange thing. So like they're super supportive parents. Like, I couldn't have asked for any better parents and they've always supported absolutely everything I do. But of course they're used to supporting stuff that's fairly easy for them to support. So like mm. professional, professionally I play, play piano for a living and I conduct choirs for a living. So that's pretty much within the remit of people in their 70s to be able to support quite naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but um, I remember being in a band when I was a student um, like not of any kind of size whatsoever, but you know, we, we got a gig and we were supporting um, Firebird, the the side project of Bill Steer from yeah, Paris. yeah. Mm-hmm. And we got, we got this one gig which supporting, so that was really cool, you know. So really nervously walking up to Bill Steer and going, "Hi, I'm Mark." He's like, "Yeah, I'm Bill." I'm like, "I know, yeah." So <laughs> my, my my parents my parents drove like two hours to come, which I realise in the states is you know round the corner, but in the UK that's a long drive. And they drove drove two hours to another city to come and see me play this gig. And I remember clearly looking down off the stage whilst I was trying to rock out with my guitar and seeing my mother with her fingers in her ears. Yeah. Uh, and like sort of trying to nod her head, but like she just couldn't stand the noise. That like was just too loud for her. So, wow. uh, yeah. They, 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 but what's weird now with Arthur is um, I fully expected. In fact, I actively told my choirs that I run professionally, just don't check this out. Like this is just not for you. And that's mm-hmm. fine. Like I'm totally comfortable for it. Because my choirs are full of lots of people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s and older, you know, because, like, yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's what they do for a hobby. And I was just, I wanted to head it off of the pass. And because they're, they're super supportive in the choirs and they support anything Mark does. And I was like, please don't listen to this. This just is, and this isn't for you. And that's okay. Yeah. And, and they were, and they've been buying them. Like, so we just signed their vinyl and stuff. I'm like, hmm. great. There's got to be one that's a metalhead in that group. Mm-hmm. Come I'm on. not sure. I'm not sure that there are. I mean, well, there's a guy who like was telling me like, the other week that he, he, you know, he was really into metal when he was younger. And if you sort of unpick that, it's Deep Purple, you know, and that's great. No, yeah. fantastic. Fair play. We don't. But, um, yeah, people are people are getting into it. Who I would have expected not to like literally in their seventies going, yeah. So I really sort of think you're getting into, I think, I don't know if they feel like the religious aspect of it, which isn't a religious album, which I keep on to point out to people, but there's something about it that people of different sort of ilk seem to be able to access, which is great. Yeah. yeah. I was in Starbucks yesterday and I was wearing my pot metalheads podcast shirt and I was waiting for my drink and a guy walked by who had to be, you know, not a day under 70. Mm. And he looked over at me and he said, cool shirt. And I'm like, I don't know if he's like making fun of me or if he actually thought it was a cool shirt because it's, you know, it's all, it was all, you know, metal lettering that you can't read and, and skulls and stuff. And well, let me throw this idea at you, right? So I spent a lot of years as a professional musician playing piano at weddings, right? So we all have to do something to pay the bills, right? Hmm? And when I was younger, I remember because part of being a piano player when you're playing sort of background music for a meal i realize this isn't very mal but bear with me so you, you, is reading the room right mm-hmm. and looking at people and guessing what they're going to be into and of course you would look at people of a certain age and think i'll play a beatles tune do you know what i mean you would like look at them and think yeah, yeah he's an older person probably beatles is or something similar a motown tune or whatever is probably a good guess and as my wedding career sort of went on 
I started to realize that, of course, I would look at an old person and the, and the genre of music that I had to play was changing. Because like 10 years later, <laughs> the people who, were old, who looked older now were in, might have been into 70s stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So, or then eventually 80s stuff and, and so on. So I, I think perhaps now being in Starbucks, getting having someone who looks like an older guy, think, say, feeling like they identify with metal, Mm-hmm. is now starting to get to the point where we're, we're living in the era where that might not be so as ridiculous right, yeah. as it might have been. Yeah, I mean, ago. could have been Lemmy, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. or well, anybody you, you from just, that era. You never know. Like, we, we joke on the podcast that I'm the only guy who actually looks metal and everybody else looks like a suburban <laughs> dad. But it's not true. We're all a bunch of old farts, except for Matt. And, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Mark, have you, Mark, have you ever played Ace of Spades on the piano at a wedding? <laughs> um... I don't think so. I've played no. Metallica. I've okay. played like stuff like like Rainbow or Def Leppard or ACDC. I, I don't think I've I don't think I've played that. Maybe I, I will say you said that that part of the conversation wasn't very metal, but I will say being able to read to be able to read a room musically is completely metal. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it, it is a bit of a knack like trying to guess what people are into. I mean, mm-hmm. it's so judgmental. Do you like? <laughs> Did you ever work in anything for you yourself almost to be like a joke or to, to play a trick on people like oh, yeah. in some Zeppelin or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, because when, when people see a solo piano playing, they immediately call it a genre, which is, mm-hmm. and I quote, nice piano music. <laughs> and, and loads of people just say, uh, what, if I say to an average Joe public, what kind of music do you want at your event? Eight times out of ten, I would just thought it'd be nice to have some nice piano music, like it's a genre, <laughs> right? But, but of course, it isn't, right? It's just a piano player playing anything. Mm-hmm. So if I do a piano a piano version of a Foo Fighters tune or a piano version of a Metallica tune next to a piano version of a Motown tune, it still sounds like piano music, right? Still right. nice piano music. Mm-hmm. I used to work in a bookstore and we had a piano player, and I'm, I got in big trouble one time because this woman came up to me <laughs> and she said, "Excuse me, is this Chopin?" And I said, <laughs> I, "And I said, no, ma'am, this is just our piano player, Bruce." <laughs> she went and complained <laughs> to my manager. I'm always proud of that joke. <laughs> Oh, have you ever tried to read the room and you're like watching somebody and, and what you're playing and, and they like, they like cringe or something. So you segue into uh, something else to see if that works. Yeah, absolutely. And what's, what's weird is so I remember playing one wedding where the bride had sent through all this play, uh, request list and it had loads of like Adele, like really mm-hmm. slow, miserable piano music for a wedding. Yeah. So I fa- faithfully was playing what I'd been told to pay, play and what I'd been paid to play. And the mother of the bride really angrily sent a message across with one of the staff to say, you know, can you stop playing miserable music? I'm like, can your daughter stop requesting it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So piano's your gig, but what, what other instruments do you play? It sounds like you play guitar too. Yeah, I mean, piano is the instrument I can play without thinking. Everything else I have to concentrate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, 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 like a lot of young sort of kids who want to get into rock music, I tried to teach myself guitar when I was a kid. And I mean, I could sort of functionally play rhythm. Like I could play the chords and got got so I could, I had like this battered old acoustic guitar, you know, mm-hmm. like a lot of kids. And yeah, but I, it never came naturally to me. I, I played viola when I was a kid for a lot of years, um, which is like a sort of big violin. Mm-hmm. And again... I got, I got all right at it, but it, it just didn't feel natural to me. Piano was where I, I felt natural. But um, I've never, ever, until the art album, played guitar on a record. Wow. You know, it's funny, though. I, I think piano 
at least this is my experience. I, I do think piano players are more commonly the type who can pick up another instrument and kind of sort it, figure it out. Like, that's not true. If you're a guitar player and you sit down on the piano, you're like, I'm fucking lost. But yeah. I find piano players like are intuitive with almost every other instrument, at least in a functional way, as you said. Yeah. Yeah. It's because it's visually laid out so well. So you get like a, a, a pretty functional base level understanding of how music is fitting together. Whereas if you pick up guitar and you can play the same note on four different places on the neck, I mean, that's just confusing. Who invented that system? So, yeah. Um, yeah, piano, you've got one note in one place and it's mm-hmm. left to right. I mean, great. So off we go. So, um, yeah, piano does help with a, a pre- pretty basic level of understanding of what's going mm. on. Sure. What made you want to pick up the guitar for this album and, and do it for the first time as opposed to getting somebody else to, to play it? Well, I, I, so I can play functional rhythm guitar but I'm no lead guitarist. <laughs> so um, I got Dan Cap to play uh, lead guitar on it. Um, so some of you will know Dan, the ex-lead guitarist from Winter Filleth, who, who I'm in, uh, the band I'm in, and also um, he's got his Wilkinsman project. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, we're one of my best mates, and you know, he's a great, great lead guitarist. So he played lead. Um, I just really wanted to do as much on the album as I possibly could. And it's really slow, so I can do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, I can play power chords really slow all day long. That's great. <laughs> so how did this project come about? So the way I've explained it to a lot of people is I wanted for once in my life to be musically selfish. Mm-hmm. That's the best way I can describe it. Because so I've been in, into rock and metal of all different kinds for 30 years and had never made a metal album that was my own. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've been in Winterfilth for now. What uh, I don't know how many years, like eight, eight years, and I love being in Winterfilth, and I'm really proud of the records we do. It's a five piece band, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a five piece band where most fans don't know I exist, <laughs> because when we do, when they play live, I never play live unless it's the acoustic shows. So, um, despite the fact I've now been on like four Winterfilth records, people still don't. I mean, they're just not paying attention. There's a big photo of me in the sleeve, but they don't. <laughs> they haven't counted how many people are on the sleeve. So. Um, I'm like the fifth member of Winterfilleth. And, you know, I'm I'm in many ways the least important person in Winterfilleth, and that's fine because I help with the vocal arrangements and I help with some of the melodies and I, I pretty much wrote one of the songs on the last album, but that was the first time I'd done that, other than the acoustic album where I was like much more heavily involved. I do the string arrangements, I work out the harmonies, but, you know, I don't play any of the songs from start to finish. Mm-hmm. I just like drop in here and there. Um, so I'd never really sort of got to let out my creative sort of metal juices kind of thing in one place. And as I say, professionally, I've spent the best part of 30 years fulfilling other people's musical desires. So I I do music to order. I play piano. I arrange for choirs. I conduct choirs. I do orchestrations and arrangements and teach people to play songs that they love. None of that is, like, for me. So I've been around music for, for, for a lifetime and never, ever got the final say on everything musically so i thought it's about time i changed that mm-hmm. um and and so and to be honest I, I i give credit to dan dan cap who i mentioned before he was really chivying me he said like you really should write an album you really should write an album you really should write an album and i was like well you know i'm pretty busy you know and I, like a lot of musicians are and I, you'll you have to do a lot of work to make a living. You know, it's not an easy industry to make a living as a working musician. Um, so I just made every excuse under the sun for a couple of years. And Dan's like, I think you've got an album in you. I think you've got an album in you. Um, 
and he was he was right. You know, once once I forced myself to do it, um, I re- I really really enjoyed myself. But once I'd started, my personality came out, which was I'm having the last word on absolutely everything. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to be selfish for once in my life. I'm going to refuse advice until I'm blue in the face. This is going to come out as I want. And and there were people more experienced than I telling me I should do, once they started hearing things, we well, should really add that. You know, I can really hear this being added on top. And I was like, no, that's not the vision. Yeah. Well, that worked out well, I think, because it's a great album. I mean, I don't mind, t- I don't mind telling you there was a, a label, a big metal label when it was, so I, I finished the entire thing written, recorded, mastered mixed the full kit and caboodle artwork painting done for the cover everything here's the finished product before i let any label hear it and there was a pretty big label said if you could just go back and add some extreme vocals we'll find that some extra what i was like extreme 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 vocals vocals. yeah i was like nope wow so how did you get hooked up with prophecy i saw dan opened that door as well like he's a very influential chap in my life recently um he, uh, he he knew the guys from Prophecy, and um, I had you know, like four or five labels that I wanted to approach, and I thought might be a reasonable, sensible home for it, you know, labels that I'm a big fan of. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Prophecy was on that list, but, um, like, I guess a lot of these things, you know, you need someone who knows someone to, to kind of get you inside the door rather than just being another person emailing them. So, yeah, Dan put me in contact with uh, Martin, who's the boss of Prophecy, and said, you know, give this a listen. And um, they said it was, Martin said it was the fastest signing of Prophecy's history. Wow. It's like, yes, in 25 years, yeah, I want that. Do you want to sign a Prophecy? Yeah, great. (laughs) Awesome. I I had a a choice of two. Two labels wanted to sign it, and um, which was amazing, you know. That was within two or three weeks. To have options is nice. Yeah, absolutely. It was was really, really satisfying. Prophecy's a really good fit for the album. I don't think so. I'll be totally honest. I, I, of course, I knew of Prophecy. I'm a big fan of some Prophecy bands. I'd never really, really dive deep into the Prophecy catalogue um, until the sort of conversation with Prophecy happened. And I, I knew they had a reputation for making sort of really sort of premium quality of you know, physical merch, really attention to detail in that kind of way. And ironically, three weeks before I signed with them, my wife had bought me. Um, the Falkenbach box set on vinyl that Prophecy had just bought out for Christmas. It's like all seven Falkenbach albums. Mm-hmm. Um, and like three weeks later, I signed for Prophecy. And I'm, I'm looking at the Prophecy <laughs> logo on this box set going, this is great. One. I'm now on the same. <laughs> I, I was like a kid. I don't mind. I admit it. Like a kid, like a kid at Christmas. Yeah. Just signed to one of the same labels, one, some of my favorite bands. And yeah, great. Why not? That's awesome. That's great. Mm-hmm. So what inspired you to tell the story that you tell on this album? And, and please, you know, uh, explain what that is. So I'm massively interested in bands that represent where they're from somehow. Nothing more groundbreaking than that. And of course, in the last 30 or 40 years, we can all probably easily rule off 20, 30 songs, uh, sorry, 20, 30 artists who've tried to represent where they're from in some way. So I can say like Marcus Anson and Amorphous shirt. So, you know, if you look look particularly at early Amorphous material, but certainly also throughout their career, Mm -hmm. massive, massive, um, influence from um, Finnish mythology and the Karelia and, um, and so on. So um, I'm just really interested in how, in how different metal and rock bands have done that over the last 40 years. So like Man of War and Bathory and Primordial and Drucked and all these different bands we can think of. 
Um, and that's what I wrote my PhD on, which is obviously like a super geeky thing to say. But yeah, so my PhD is in national identity in heavy metal music from Northern and Eastern Europe. Nice. Um, so I wrote 85,000 words on metal. Which is, uh, <laughs> what, what you are Dr. Metal. Yeah, literally. And like, I, I should really be called out more often, but I'm not. Um, so it was, um, I sort of basically looked at how bands have started to use old paintings, like the old national romantic paintings um, on the artwork. Um, how different bands using mythology and poetry and history. And that's actually how I first got in contact with Winter Phillip. Because mm-hmm. I sent I sent a Chris a list of questions for my PhD. Mm-hmm. Um to explain, you know, a lot of the Anglo-Saxon texts that they were using. Um so I just really wanted to represent where I'm from. So I'm from a region that was historically known as Northumbria and in modern languages known as Northumberland. Um and the old kingdom of Northumbria has really spanned this huge area of the northeast of northeast of England. Mm-hmm. And it's where the Vikings first arrived in England um, at this island called Lindisfarne, which is about an hour, hour and a half up the coast from me. Um, and so this area is really steeped in a lot of a lot of English history and really important characters and important stories. So um, I guess in the back of my mind, I was really conscious of places uh, bands like um, Vindia uh, who um, how uh, really sort of focused on their specific region um, rather than you know a whole national thing mm-hmm. um, and so I wanted to try and represent Northumbria in some way and I'd made a couple of solo piano albums a few years ago where all the tracks were named in the old Northumbrian dialect so from the Anglo-Saxon period but there was a specific dialect in Northumbria that was sort of a variation of that and I'd got like a linguistics expert to help me name these tracks. Um, and they were all instrumental. It, it was just sort of a, I don't want to call it a gimmick, but it was like just a, a theme that was sort of running through. Are and these under your really, name? Like, are these yeah, in, available? So, so, yeah, solo albums under Mark Deeks, yeah. Okay. Um, I'd like so to one's, that. Called, uh, one's called uh, Light Burst and one's called Left by the Sail Road. And the Sail Road was the English, the old English word for the, what the Vikings used to refer to as the Whale Road, which is the sea. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the way that the sails travel, the way that the, the whales travel is by the sea. So the, the sail road was the old English word for the sea. So uh, one of the albums was called Left by the Sail Road. But they were all, it was just all instrumental music and all the tracks were named in the old Northumbrian dialects. And Arth was originally going to be the name of the third Mark Deeks solo album until I decided I wanted to make a Doom album instead. <laughs> well, I want to check that out. I'm always on the lookout for some nice piano music. <laughs> Uh, well, yes. Who isn't? Yeah. <laughs> it's a joke, of course. It's <laughs> um, fine. And Arth means native land, right? I think I read yeah, that that's somewhere. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, what's the story? I know it's Saint Cuthbert. Yeah. And- so, yeah, Saint Cuthbert was a um, a really prominent uh, um, sort of uh, figure in the Christian Church around the late six hundreds, uh, second half of the seventh century. He. Um, was by all accounts a bit of a hermit, a healer. You know, people would travel to be be healed by him. And in his later uh, years, he was based at this island of the Holy Island of Lindisfarne, off the coast of Northumbria. And he had, um, as the story goes, uh, a premonition shortly before he died that what would happen to his body after death would become the subject of division, hmm. and the subject of argument, because he was you know, viewed upon as a very holy figure. And he, he basically, uh, it is said, didn't want that to happen. So he wanted his followers rather the, um, you know, I'd ra- the line is, I would rather you took up my bones from this place. 
then um, it becomes a subject of division in the church. Wow. So um, when he died, um, he was originally buried on, on Linda's farm. Um, and every so often, the followers would open the coffin and find that his body was incorrupt. You know, it, it hadn't decomposed, as the story, because he was so holy, and this was seen to be as why he should be called a saint, you know, as, as these stories start. Mm-hmm. And um, But then when, when the Vikings invaded, um, about a century later, um, it, I th- what seems to have happened was the followers then decided that it was probably a good idea that they should st- start clearing out and, and take their most valued possessions with them. Of course, one of which was um, Cuthbert's body. So uh, then the story goes that they spent 200 years um, transporting this coffin around the northeast of England to very different locations to keep it safe and, and settling in different regions as they went. Um, and the symbol of St. Cuthbert, the cross, St. Cuthbert's cross, became a sign of protection in the region. And for, people would say they were followers of the saint and, and they would display a sort of curved cross symbol. Mm-hmm. Um, it was taken as a sign of protection when going into battle. Um, and so soldiers would, and you know, kings or leaders would um, make sure they um, showed the symbol when they were going into battle, which is what one of the tracks, Banner of the Saint, is about uh, on, on, the, uh, on the album. And... Uh, it, it is said um, that when uh, they were trying to transport the coffin near what is um, a, a river that's called the Weir, um, a particular bend in the river, the coffin refused to move. Um, and this was taken as a sign that this is where Cuthbert wanted to rest. Wow. And so uh, the coffin is now in what we call uh, the modern-day Durham Cathedral, which is one of the biggest cathedrals in, in England and one of the most famous cathedrals in England, and the r- remains of the coffin uh, is there, but legend has it that only three monks ever really knew where the real remains were. Um, and perhaps that isn't the real coffin. And so there's all kinds of legends and mysteries around it. And so that the last track on the album is called Only Three Shall Know. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where the sort of journey the journey ends. So it's a, it's an unashamed concept album about a saint in a coffin being transported around a countryside for 200 years avoiding Vikings. <laughs> wow. Oh. That's pretty cool. Which on the surface, which on the surface, sorry, which on the surface is just the most doomed thing you could possibly think of, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask. So, knowing this story, was the story that inspired the music, or were you writing the music first, and then you came upon the story, and then want to fit it in? How, how did each influence each other on the record? So, I always write music first. I find it absolutely impossible to write lyrics unless there's music. So, music is always the first, and I write. I write by improvising. So I just sit at the piano and record whatever comes out. And I, I try to not put any thought into it whatsoever. And that sounds weird, but I literally <laughs> throw my hands on the keys and see what happens and just re- record it on my phone. Like nothing flasher than that. Mm-hmm. And it, I might do it for 30 seconds or I might do it for 20 minutes. And I just build up this folder of sketches and, you know, loads of it's rubbish. And that's fine. But every, every now and then it's like, oh, what was that? And so you build up this folder of collections, uh, collection of recordings, and then um, anything from months to a year or two later, you go, right, if I'm going to write this album, I should start listening to what I've got. And then you, the jigsaw puzzle starts, like, oh, well, that five notes over there could fit with this mm-hmm. chord, chord sequence over here. And then you start trying to piece it together. But yeah, it was music first. And mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't have the St. Cuthbert story at first. It was very much a case of, I knew it had to represent Northumberland. 
I knew I wanted a Northumberland story um, because, as I say, Arthur was originally going to be um, the name of the third Marktix album. And once I started, it was going to be, decided it was going to be its own entity. Um, it made sense to me that it had to represent Northumbria in some way. Um, and it wasn't until the music started to take shape, I, I, I started digging around for, right, what's a really cool story from Northumbria? Well, of course, there's the St. Cuthbert story. Well, hang on a minute, like monks carrying a coffin for 200 years, perfect. Um, so, um, yeah, no, it was, it was all, it's always music first. And then to the point where there'll be like a completed piece of music. And like right now I need to write lyrics. Because mm-hmm. at first I was, like, I find writing lyrics re- a real challenge. That is by far the hardest thing for me. And uh, I was r- really, so one of the bands that were a huge influence for me uh, were Tenhi, the Finnish band. And they have big st- strays of music, which, which don't have any singing in. So I was like, well, if I'm going to have any singing, I want it to be as sparse as Tenhi. <laughs> um, um, but, so the lyrics definitely came last for sure, because I, I find it impossible to write lyrics unless there's, unless there's music. But once I get a few lines, then, then the harmonies start and then the fun happens. Mm-hmm. It looks well, like the, uh, uh, the cover ties into the story. Who did the artwork? Uh, so he's called Gabriel. He, uh, you can find him under Archangel Impressions. He's an American artist. Um, and he um, was another contact of Dan. Um, he um, he's a big fan of, of Walkinsman and Dan's graphic. Dan professionally is a graphic designer, and he does um, uh, logos and artwork for bands and so on, and signs merch. He's got a, a company called Blood Fire Merch, mm-hmm. um, and he uh, so I, I had a kind of vague idea. Um, but Dan has done graphic design for me professionally for years and he knows how my mind works. And I say things like, I've got this idea. Um, it's sort of this. Um, and he knows that he's going to have to draw it or at least sketch it before I can even respond to it. I can't, I have got a really poor visual brain, so I can't respond to anything or tell you what, it, whether it's anything's going to be good or not, unless I actually see it. So people go, right. So I, I, if someone said to me, um, oh, I'm thinking I could draw this, I could draw this, and uh, would you like that? I've got, I've no, I've no idea. Mm-hmm. I have to, I've got, I have to see it. So Gabriel, bless him, <laughs> got, got the rough end of this. I said, right, it's going to be about St. Cuthbert. And the cave on the cover is a real cave. Um, it's known locally as Cuddy's Cave, because Cuddy is like a, nick, a local slang nickname for Cuthbert. Okay. Um, and uh, so that's a real cave where the monks allegedly stayed for quite a long time. Um, and that's on the mainland uh, of Northumberland. And uh, so I said, right, I want that cave because that is the iconic location when people think of Cuthbert. Um, I wanted to have that kind of feel of being old. I wanted to look like an old painting that's sort of been discovered in a, a book. Or, um, and uh, bless him, he was straight on like Google Earth getting uh, getting satellite images and trying to get the lay of the land of what it looked like around it. Because, of course, he's like on the west coast of the US somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he he even was like sketching, seeing the cave from different angles and like how the monks would lay out. So he, he was really patient with me because I had to see it in order to respond to him. Right. I, I, said, I said I really struggle unless I see it. So, yeah, he put in an inordinate amount of work into that. Um, and once it was done, I was like, that is just fantastic. The detail in it, when you look at you oh, yeah. it, it really catches it. the eye. And it's different, yeah. I think. I, I, I can't think of many album covers in metal that look like that. 
It's not like it's, I don't want to say it's unique, but you know what I mean? It's got, mm-hmm. it's a little different. Mm-hmm. There's something quite different about it, the detail that's gone into it. And then what was great about it was I said to him after that was done, you know, I want each song to have its own icon so that in the, in the artwork, there can be a symbol that represents what each song is about. Um, and then, you know, for the potential for like, um, you know, merch and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So if you look mm-hmm. at the artwork, you'll see each song's got its own graphic that represents the song as well. So it's a real sort of complete package. I can't wait to get the vinyl because I ordered that. So and oh, right, just great. to see it in that format, it's going to yeah. be a treat. It was, it was real, really satisfying when it, when it arrived for sure. So talk to me about those beautifully layered vocals. You know, I mean, I don't see anybody else credited. So is that like you upon you upon you? What is that? Yeah, it's a lot of me and a lot of Dan. So Dan helped out with the uh, the choral vocals. Okay. Um, so when when we do Winterfell vocals, historically that's been me and Chris and and Dan before before he left the band. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm obsessed by vocal harmonies. Mm-hmm. Like it, ever since I can remember, whether it's Motown or whether it's you know metal or whatever it is, I just can't get enough of what vocal harmonies sound like. So I. I have to really rein myself in. Yeah, I mean, that is me. That is me reined in. <laughs> uh, so, because uh, I could just go forever. Like, oh, we can put another one on top. Oh, another one on top. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm the kind of person who like you s- will drive around and harmonize to what I'm listening to, like singing, but singing mm-hmm. a harmony, right? Because I, I just, I'd love, I love harmonies. Well, um, and I wanted to, I wanted to really sort of play on this uh, monastic kind of feel. Um, but to be honest, like the, the album, and it's a specific album rather than a band, that was the biggest influence on that is a band called Funeral from Norway. Mm-hmm. Um, I know them. And, and they had an album called From These Wounds, uh, which is like this sort of mid-album, uh, sorry, mid-career album that doesn't get enough credit. It's never come out on vinyl. Like if I could get any album on vinyl, it'd be that. Like just press that on vinyl, I'll buy all the copies. Um, it's really... As far as I'm concerned, it's a unique album vocally. Um, I think it's just a really quirky album. It's a bizarre collision of sounds, but I love it. It's a real all-time album for me. And so when I was in the studio, I said to Chris Fielding, the producer, here is your reference point for the vocals. This, but bigger, with loads of reverb on, so it sounds like monks. Mm -hmm. But like the harmonies, this is what I'm going for. And yeah, I just wanted to... I can't do extreme vocals. I I physically can't do it. So it was always going to have clean vocals. Mm -hmm. And it was never just going to have one line. So yeah, it's lots of me and Dan doubling everything up as well. So like, if there are three vocal lines, because Chris Fielding triple records everything, mm-hmm. if there are three vocal lines on the page, that's nine of me and nine of Dan. Wow, and that's that's why it sounds so huge. Well, that's, I mean, it's massive, and it's. I mean, I like that sort of thing anyway, but pairing that with metal as well. I was like, wow, I mean, this is, you know, there's not enough of this out there. And that's what, you know, initially on my first listen was the, you know, the, 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 the needle scraping across the record though. What? I was like, what is going on here? And I was like, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> so, oh, cheers, man. Um, I appreciate that's... it. It's what seems to have caught a lot of people's ear. And what's weirdest to me, it's, it seems so natural to me to do that because that is how my brain works. And it wasn't until I was really getting into it, I was like, I can't think of another band that do this. Mm-hmm. I, st- I still can't really think of another band that do it quite the same. That funeral album's heading that direction. But yeah, I mean, it's just, as I say, I wanted to be musically selfish for once. And if that meant, I, I said to my wife, I'm going to pay for all of this. 
if this is the most expensive set of MP3s I ever own, then I'm kind of really sorry. <laughs> but I'm but I, but I'm all right by it. Like if no one ever else hears this, I just want to make an album. Like one of the what Dan kept saying to me was, you want a legacy. Like when you get old, you want something that you can look back and go, I did that. This was exactly how I sort of heard music and how I envisaged music. And honestly, the, the I, I hate the cliche, but you know when bands go, yeah, like we really love our music and if anyone else likes it, it's a bonus. Mm-hmm. Absolutely true. Yeah, Absolutely true with this. I really didn't give a shit. <laughs> this is exactly how I want to do it. And to the point of, like I was saying, turning that label down and saying, no, I'm not putting extreme vocals on this. It's too too easy a card to play. Mm-hmm. I just didn't want to do it. Yeah, That's your baby. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it seems to have worked out because uh, you're not the only one that likes it. It seems to be getting a lot of good press. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like I'm being like flippant or humble about it. I can't believe the reviews. Like mm-hmm. I keep, when this review started coming in, and, and comments from people like because you know you know it's like you can almost be a bit cynical if a, someone in a magazine goes oh this is this is great and you're like yeah but you know whatever but then when when ordinary members of the public are taking photos of their vinyl and posting it on Instagram with artily placed next to a tree or something mm-hmm. I'm like this is great mm-hmm. they genuinely like it yeah <laughs> I, the one that made me do a real double take was when somebody put the artwork as their Facebook cover photo. <laughs> 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 which is which is such a 21st century thing to get excited about. I was like, all right, that is great. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'd be surprised if it wasn't on a lot of best of the year lists. I'm sure it'll be on mine. December. Yeah. I mean, that is really special. To, I, I, my wife keeps saying to me, no, people are saying this might be one of the best albums of the year. I'm like, mm-hmm. I can't even bring myself to say that sentence. It just sounds really humbling. Like, I'm, I'm just so, so satisfied and really, like, quietly sort of patting myself on the back that I didn't bend to what anyone else said I had to do. It just feels satisfying. Like, I don't want to, I'm not cocky about it. I just really, I'm just really pleased. Yeah. I, I'd say that that's a good thing that you didn't take that offer to change the vocals because uh, it's a different kind of Doom album. I don't know. And I listened to it today. It doesn't sound like other Doom bands. So, like when I think of older Doom bands, like I'll think of, say, My Dying Bride. There's an anguish to their sound, you know, or if you listen to like Early Trouble, there's kind of a, a power behind it. And each kind of Doom band has a different direction. And this is fairly unique. It's not a folk Doom sound, but it, it kind of captures this area of where you're from and the history of it. So I think you made the right decision by not doing that because had you added, I think, harsh vocals, Honestly, people might say, oh, yeah, we've heard that before. We've heard Doom with harsh vocals. But like George was saying earlier, hearing the monastic vocals, it kind of catches you by surprise. You double take and and have to go back. I've listened three times in a row, and each time I've heard something new on the album. And I think that's a testament to what you captured. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you didn't add harsh vocals because I like it more with each listen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Carrying off of uh, what John said about My Dying Bride, um, that's like the only thing that like this reminds me of. And it's only just one little part. And that's the beginning of the first song. What's that? Uh, Burden foretold uh, the, the spoken part with like the cello going on reminds me of some mm-hmm. like, like gods of the sun, you know, where he's like, she's dark and filled with beauty. And, and, and there's like strings going on and like, and that was the other thing that like drew me in. Cause that's like one of my favorite, my dying bride songs. And so I was like, Hmm. And then, and then the, uh, you know, the, the monastic vocals was just like, 
hooked me. But when you guys listen, I don't feel any dread in this at all, like some doom music. I feel like almost as if you're actually there going back to the late 600s mm-hmm. and you're on the hilltop looking down onto this world and the music's playing and it almost feels like that's it. Whereas I hear some doom bands and like the joke used to be when you listen to old doomy catatonia, they're like, man, don't have anything sharp near your wrists because you, know, like, you get so depressed listening to the music. I don't feel any depression or anguish in this. It, it almost, it, I don't want to use the word bombastic because that has a negative connotation. I think sometimes in metal, but it has this grandiose feel when you listen. I think John, I think there is some doom and dread in our deepest history. You know what I mean? Like there is something sad about that. Like it's just so it's almost forgotten or whatever it is. It's so far away. We can't truly experience it. So there is some sense of dread. If you ask me, I mean, I hear what you're saying. hundred percent. Yeah. I I guess the way it's sorry, Marcus, I guess I was trying to get to, it's like, I think bands play off of that to make themselves sound even more metal-ish. This sounds metal without trying to be metal. Yeah. And I mean, it is obviously, but it's not like you're trying to up the ante. You're not trying to give it like, it's not like we're trying to put a post out there and somebody paid like a hundred bucks to get, you know, 500 more views on our post. You know, it's not like that. We're trying to, to spice it up even more. It has its own power behind it. It's yeah, I somber. Say, I would say sorrow, you know, it has like an epic sorrowful mm-hmm. quality to it. And it just, it paints this, this canvas, this Northumbrian canvas. Like I feel like I'm in this land and I never really experienced so a music like that. You, you just said something that made me smile because um, that's the third American person to say Northumbrian. It's not, <laughs> sorry, no. it's not, it's not Northumbrian. It's Northumbrian. <laughs> really? Interesting. Yeah. It's Get it right. All these things are unpronounceable. Sorry. Like, what, Northumbrian. Who, who said to get this guy on? Northumbrian. Okay. Not North, it's just Northumbria. Northumbria. It's not North. Northumbria. It's nor because, this nor that. It's Northumbria. Yeah. So the river is called, there's a river f- further down the coast called the Humber. Okay. So, uh, Mark, is, if it's any consolation, Jay can attest to this. I can't tell you how many times growing up in California, and somebody said, yeah, we were down in San Diego and went to this great little place called La Jolla, you yeah. know? And so, <laughs> yeah, yes. there's the Spanish word. Yeah, but so, I get what you're saying. But there's also, so there, there's, in other words, there's no directional kind of thing in that at all. Like, it's not a geographical, even a reference to, right? You're saying nor, it's... It's not, not north of the Humber land. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Geography so, okay, lesson we as well. Finish names coming up later that none of us can pronounce. So we'll butcher those. Quite yeah, well. yeah. We we have a history of butchering names, so that just adds to our collection. We've all been, we've all been there, right? Yeah, we've all been there as metal fans. That's why that's why I asked yeah. before we started how to pronounce the band name because I've I, I remember when uh, I think my probably one of my worst examples was when Wilder Run came on, and uh, I said, and we've got Evan from Wild Run. <laughs> Well, that's funny you mentioned that because I actually met him at a show in Baltimore when he was playing with Immortal Bird, and I asked him that specific question. It's like, well, you can pretty much say whatever you want, but we kind of go with Wilderun. I was like, thank you. Yeah, so <laughs> I got it's such a simple word when you see it, but got, it catches it catches out the best, right? So there's uh, there's a Sodom album where the, the title is well in English it's Epitome, E P I T O M E. That's the word Epitome, right? Mm-hmm. But the but the track. Uh, uh, the title track of the album, he pronounces epitome. 
And, I, and it's repeated over and over and again. I'm like, mate, that's the name of your album. If you could just sing the word, at least work out. <laughs> work, at least actually know what the word is. <laughs> yeah. There's actually, there's a, there's a famous one, and I even heard somebody ask him about it, that King Diamond and one of his records refers to a sarcophagus as a sarcophagus. Yeah. <laughs> and, and somebody called him out about it one time. And he was like, what? No, sarcophagus, that's what it is. He wouldn't let it, he wouldn't, wouldn't let it go. But uh, he's King Diamond. He can do what he wants. He? he can do whatever the fuck he wants. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think we had that issue uh, once with the Shape of Despair album title. Yes, we did. We asked uh, friends of ours from the band Perihelium Ship, who are from Finland, about that, and they actually pronounced it different than we would, uh, which I thought was funny. I can't remember the. Do you remember the title, George? Again, I'm trying to think which Monotony Fields. Monotony Monotony Fields. Yeah. Oh yeah, Monotony Fields. Yeah. Yeah, and. Uh, our, was it Yanni that said that? I can't remember it was him. He said Monotony Fields. And it happened with a, a band that we were interviewing. They yeah. had also said that. That's yeah. a point Monotony Fields. Yeah. <laughs> Only one Tony. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so do you have any interesting like facts or stories about the uh, the album coming together? You know, anything uh you know that um maybe you haven't talked about or, you know. I'm not sure about the album coming together. I I think there was uh, when we were recording the drums. Um, so that's uh, Callum from Atavist who pl- who plays drums on on the album. And uh, we when he started when he started tracking, <laughs> I kept I kept having to make him play less <laughs> because it was uh, so. I mean, obviously, Atavis play like this crushing doom as well, but I think he get, occasionally gets to throw in a big, like big fill. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, take it out, no, again, <laughs> no, just less, just like less just is more. Pay, just paste it. I want you to hit it hard, but I want you to do less than that. And he would like get to the end of like a verse and like, try and put a fill. In. I'm like, no, stop it. <laughs> less. And eventually, like, I could see his rage rising. I was like, there you go, just hit it harder, you'll be fine. And he, I mean, he really, really hits his drums. Like he was practically taking off out of the stool mm-hmm. when, it, when it was crashing down and he was bouncing up. And yeah, so I remember doing that. I remember the um, the end of. There's a track called Raise Then the Incorrupt Body, um, which is like this big sort of nine-minute epic. And uh, at the end of it, after this huge soaring section, it just all drops down to three cellos. Um, so it's Joe Quill playing a cello, but obviously multiple times. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember when the when I heard the three tracks play with a real cello for the first time, um, sort of back in the control room and sort of got got the shivers and I was like, that is a symphony of Joe. Just like how much Joe can one man take in one <laughs> in one moment. It's just all these different interweaving cello lines and yeah, that was really satisfying. It's just really great to work with friends, you know. I've worked, worked with these guys before and um, it's just nice to be able to tell them what to do for a change. Yeah. <laughs> You're the boss. So the instruction, by the way, the instruction for the drummer is I want you to be John Bonham meets Bill Ward, but I want you to keep it all inside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, Mark, that's funny you should say that. I saw an interview with David Bowie when uh, I can't remember the album um, he did. It was Heathen, and he had Jordan Rudis guest on the album. And he knew about Jordan Rudis's, you know, obviously skill. And he said, Now, Jordan, I don't want you to show off on this album. I just want <laughs> you to play something nice, which was really funny because obviously I'm assuming you know who Jordan Rudis is. And oh, yeah, absolutely. 
you know, Juilliard trained and everything. And when you said that, I made me think of that story really is lab. you like, you, you try so hard, but sometimes it's just in a musician's blood. They can't do anything about it. Yeah, absolutely. You don't need to fill every gap, right? Yeah. Well, Jordan's a guy who could fill every gap plus the oh, yeah. gaps that aren't there. Absolutely. <laughs> so how did you get involved with Winter Phillips? So it's like I said before, I I, um, I sent Chris some research questions. Oh, that's right. That's right. You did say that. And um, we we got we got uh, we got chatting and uh, got on really well. But at the time, you know, it was just a you know an email exchange or whatever, a Facebook exchange to help with my PhD. And it wasn't until um, there was another uh, band from there was a band from the northeast of England called Warden's Throne. I don't know if anyone's yeah, heard of Warden's of Throne. Yeah, they made two two albums and. Uh, a similar kind of sound to Winterfell kind of came around at the same time. And uh, Rich, who was the guitarist in Warden's Throne, was an ex-student of mine, because I used to work as a music lecturer. And uh, he was a guitarist in, in Warden's Throne. And uh, Warden's Throne's uh, keyboard player couldn't make a gig. And they asked me to stand on stand in on keys. Uh, uh, and it was this uh, festival called the Temples Fest in, in, in England. And uh, so I, I played keys just as a one-off with Warden's Throne. Mm-hmm. And uh, Winter Phillips were on the same bill, and so that was the first time that we'd met. Um, I think, or one of one of the first times that we'd met in person. And so they came up to me after the the Warden's Throne set and said, uh, "You know, we're going in the studio soon. Could you kind of? We know that you're really into vocal harmonies. Can you come and help us with our vocal harmonies? Because mm-hmm. um, obviously they'd had like these sort of woes and sort of clean vocal sections before in, a, in the earlier Winter Phillips records, but." You know, by by their own admission, that's not their comfort zone, really. You know, they'd had to sort of think about it and work at it mm-hmm. to, to improve at it. Um, whereas me, I can just go sing this, sing this, sing this, and that'll fit. Um, so they, that was when they were about to record uh, the Divination of Antiquity, so the, the fourth Winter Phillips album. Mm-hmm. And that's why it was weird. I was, I was almost like a consultant, like a choir master in the studio, which was a weird thing for a metal album, I guess. And um, But when... They were doing it they sort of had these vague ideas of what the original line would be but then uh by their own admission they would have to sort of work out well well do i if i sing this does it fit no does it, if i sing this does it fit no does it, if i sing this does it fit and i was like you sing this you sing this you sing this <laughs> go and uh they, they were just laughing at how much time it was saving them <laughs> <laughs> that would have taken us a day you just did it in 10 minutes yeah. um so we just got on really really well and um so um from that point uh, from that point onwards you know i was sort of a I wasn't an official member on there. I was on the album, but um, when it came to make uh, the dark hereafter, um, they're like, you know, we think of you as a member of the band, so let's make you a member of the band. Did you have any influence on the sound of uh, the Halloween of uh, Airdom? That uh, sounds a little more, you know, like you than them. Did was that was that them saying we so, want to do something like this, or were you guys were you like, hey man, let's do some of this? No, absolutely. And so I remember when we were doing the acoustic dates, uh, we did like, I don't know, seven or eight dates for for the album, that uh, there were a few people that said, you know, is this what happens to Winterfellas when Mark Deeks gets left in charge? I'm sure you used to be a black metal band, what is going on? But no, I mean, obviously in the the earlier Winterfellas albums, they'd always had that kind of folk influence. There'd been, uh, uh, you know, acoustic tracks, acoustic interludes. Mm Um, and so know that Nick in particular, uh, who plays bass in Winterfell, but is a you know a really, really good um, acoustic guitarist. He's really into sort of finger picking guitar, and he's a huge fan of Muskox. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, no, Nick and Chris had already started writing acoustic material, um, and they had I think they had initially intended it to be 
just an EP maybe, or maybe not even released under the Winterfell name. Um, they were just going to sort of, you know, have a little side project. But as they were sort of writing more and more material, they're like, well, this really just sounds like Winterfell acoustic tracks, except there's normally only like one and a half an album. And now we're writing loads of it. Um, so, no, they, they really wrote all the, a lot of the, um, you know, like the chord progressions and the melodies and, and so on, the, instrumentally. And then I was much more heavily involved than I would be normally because now it's like, right, here are the lyrics. We need some melodies for these. Mm-hmm. Right now we need some harmonies. And, you know, we're going to want loads of strings on it. Can you write all the string parts? Well, yeah, this is now my professional wheelhouse. So, um, yeah, I wrote all the string parts and I'd say I had a hand in pretty much every harmony or certainly most of them you know between us we work in the studio and i would suggest harmonies and they'd say maybe it's not that one try this one kind of thing but yeah i i i was heavily involved in all the harmonies wrote all the string parts um and that was a lot of recording for those harmonies because that is a full album of lots of i mean some of that's five part harmony wow I, i remember the track uh the shepherd which is the first track on the album that just took hours and hours if you'd listen to how many layers are in that because that was me and Chris and Dan. There was three of us doing them. Mm-hmm. And as I said before, Chris Fielding likes to triple track stuff. So yeah, that was a total time. <laughs> but no, I, I I can't say that I influenced it. But once they gave me the stuff, you enabled it. I, I ran with it. Yeah. yeah, excellent. So I saw yesterday that you've got a mead pairing coming out with Lindisfarne <laughs> mead. We are we are fans of mead here. In fact, uh, that's what I'm drinking right now. Um, oh wow! So how'd that come about? Uh, so, I mean, that was really a sort of, well, wouldn't it be cool if, but mm-hmm. not really for a second thinking anyone would do it. I mean, it just seems so ludicrous. Um, not to us. I mean, we're friends with the, uh, the Birminghorn Meadery guys and, oh, right, great. and, uh, they do all kinds of pairings with, with, uh, bands. I um, think the thing, I think initially the idea was, so, uh, Gunnar, who is my PR guy at Prophecy, uh, it, he's really into, as it happens, he's got like a, a master's in Anglo-Saxon history. So like, if I could have had anyone working on my album, so he's just been, I've been having to rein him in from writing big swathes of press releases and about the history of the region and everything. So he knows way about, more about it than I do, and he's German. Um, and he, his, his initial idea, which was a really clever idea, was, um, you know how um, the Norwegian government, when there was all that kind of, all the sort of uh, drama and around the black metal movement in the early nineties, mm-hmm. you know, the murders and the killings and the church burnings and so on. And they could have tried to bury that news wise. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause that, that is not great press for, for a pretty historically Christian. Well, yeah. I say historically Christian country in modern history, yeah. Christian and uh, not prior to that, obviously. Um, so a pretty, you know, straight down the road, let's keep everything nice and happy kind of country. Uh, church burnings weren't great press. Right. Um, but, Norway did something really clever. They decided to make it into an alternative tourism and they threw loads of money at promoting it. Like, well, if, if, if people are getting into, you know, Norway, Norwegian black metal became this huge international export as a thing. Well, let's see if we can sort of get people to come and see where these bands are from, see where these tales are from, see where these events happened and so on. And I, I am an example. I've been to Bergen and Oslo to go and see. I went to the Fantoft Church that was fam- you know, famously burnt down and so on. And But it became like a tourism thing, right? So people yeah, started exactly. to travel to go and see this thing. So uh, Gunnar uh, said, well, wouldn't it be great if you could get, you know, Northumbrian tourism, tourism information or whatever, tourist information involved, saying, right, here is an album that represents Northumbria. What can't we get 
some interest in bringing people to Northumbria to see the, where these stories, because it's beautiful countryside, there's miles of sandy beaches and castles and like, this cave, and it's like a great historical region. So I thought this was a great idea. So basically I set about contacting as many people as I could that have anything to do with representing Northumbria. And of course, one of which is uh, Linda's Farm Mead and Annick Breweries. Annick is a, a town in, nearby um, and they have a brewery and they're connected to making various beers and uh, they're part of the same sort of company as Linda's Farm Mead. So I managed to get a hold of a guy at the brewery who I, who I know and he put me in contact with Linda's Farm Mead. But I mean, I, I was almost laughing as I was asking. <laughs> Because, you know, this isn't Iron Maiden talking about right. Trooper Beer Maid. I am a niche of a niche of a niche of a niche, to- effectively unknown metal musician <laughs> saying, do you, fa- do you fancy making me some mead, please? And, and, put, and put my band logo on while you're on. I'm making this album about St. Cuthbert. And to my astonishment, they're like, yeah, it's a great idea. Yeah. So um, they have made like, I don't know how many, I think it's like 100 bottles or something. But you know, two hundred bottles, something like that, like a limit, limited um, run. And they said, "Well, all right, we want to make a gift set with the CD." And mm-hmm. um, and then went, then they said, "Oh, we've got these cups that have got Saint Cuthbert's cross on, which they had anyway. Mm. Do you want us to package them up with them as well?" <laughs> it's literally the cross that's on the CD. I was like, "Yeah, it's perfect. Wow. Do that." I said, "Just to be totally clear, if you sell a hundred of this, I will eat my hat." But yeah, let's, 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 I really didn't think for a second that anyone. I'd buy it if I could get it, but I don't think I can. Can I just, can I just step back two seconds and A, say that in British, I think what you just said was eat my hat, not heart, correct? (laughs) I'm picturing picturing like uh, Laurel Laurel and Hardy. Yes. Where Laurel had to eat his hat. (laughs) Yeah. And second, um, do you have a bottle of it? I don't have it here, but I'm waiting for my co- my bottles to arrive. But okay, um, the uh, yeah. So I I said just to be, I, I just didn't want them to have any false expectations. Like this is a real like subgenre of a subgenre on yes a, a well known label, but like please don't think you're going to sell thousands of this. Mm-hmm. So I was really tra- really transparent with them. I didn't want them to get false expectations. They're like, no, we think it's great. And their angle was that their shop in Annick is called the Taste of Northumbria. And so they thought that if they had this mead sat there with the music that's telling the tale, same thing, they just thought they get quite a lot of passing trade and apparently they get quite a lot of sort of um, tourist parties who've been to the island and then come to the shop. And um, So they said, oh, you know, great. I, I think it's great. And, you know, I've had, the, I've had the mick taking out of me quite a lot by Winter Fulleth because they all think it's ridiculous, but and I understand why. Um, but um, I genuinely thought it was just why not you know I've, I've got a three-month-old baby daughter and i thought wouldn't it be great just to show this is what i this is what daddy did when he was when he was younger kind of thing yeah he had his own mead <laughs> and, and so he yeah, drank a lot <laughs> hey and lots so of people out, can release music not everybody can have their own mead yeah exactly and it came out yesterday and i like four people had bought it already or something i'm like well that's more than i expected for a start brilliant <laughs> Um, so the guy from the brewery's like, yeah, we saw four last night. Oh, wow. And then I had like four or five people on, on Facebook going, yeah, I want a bottle of that. I've just ordered it. And wow, maybe we might sell a hundred. I don't know. But I mean, what it's, it's kind of egotistical, but I'm so transparent about the fact I have no expectations for it. (laughs) Then I think it's, I'm just, and I, when I saw the promo photo of it that they'd taken, I'm like, that's hilarious. Brilliant. Why don't Mark, I think it's safe to say that you're not Gene Simmons here. And no, you're not just slapping your name on it, a Gene Simmons gin. I've never drank gin in my life, but I'm selling it. It's not like that or anything. So I think no, you're okay. No, not at all. 
You know, I, I can assure you there's not going to be like an art pencil case or anything like that. <laughs> uh, Pez Will, dispenser. Our, our other colleague, Will, uh, was a brewer for years, and he used to brew beers for bands all the time. Yeah. You know, so uh, we, we know a little bit about it, so we get it. That's great. Yeah. I'm going to see if I can. Again, another satisfying thing, you know. Yeah, why not? I'm going to see if there's any way I can finagle it. They don't, you can't, I, I'm in Maryland where you can't generally ship things. However, Birminghorn George, can ship here. If, we should see if, if Will or I can get it, and then we could just put it all together. Yeah, we could do that too. Yeah. It's weird because well, like I can't order beer here, but I can get wine right. and mead. Yeah, it's every state in the U.S. So, is different so maybe how alcohol is uh, distributed. So Yeah, I'll, I'll look. Well, the brewery is set up for UK and for Europe, um, but I've already had three or four people from the US and Canada say, I'd like a bottle of that. So I've said, you know, please contact the brewery directly and if they mm-hmm. can help you, they will. I, I'm literally not making a penny out of it. I just think it's great. Cool. I think that happened when Opeth, uh, there was a, an English brewery that uh, made some beer for them and yeah. you couldn't get them in the US. You had It was hard. You had to go through a different distributor because they were not allowed to distribute themselves to the US. So it had right. to be a middleman or middle company somewhere in there. So that might be the case for this too. Cool. All right. So um, this is my last question and that's what's next. You're going to do another album or is, are you, are you like, well, I, you know, I did it and I, I, I did what I set out to do or, or is there more to come? No, there's more to come. I mean, like prophecy gave it, gave me a multi-album deal. So I'm going to have to write some more. Oh, nice. So, um, Obviously, it was on the case of the, the first one wasn't com- a complete failure, but the I, th- I think we can safely say there, there'll be more. Um, I certainly want to do more, and yeah, the, the intention is for there to be more, um, and it will always tell the tale of Northumberland in somehow, in some way. And uh, yeah, now now that I feel like I've really sort of found my feet with with what it, what it art is, because I feel like I was kind of figuring that out as I went. Because mm-hmm. as I said, at, at first... The, the, the musical starting points were Tenhe and Cowan. So quite piano-led, sparse, atmospheric stuff. And it was only when I started writing more. I, I, I remember the, clearly the day where it sort of, I had a real penny drop moment, it sounds weird, but I was listening to Morning Beloveth mm-hmm. um, for a few hours. I was on holiday. I was sat reading a book, listening to Morning Beloveth. I was like, I love this kind of music. I wonder what would happen if I combined this with like Tenhe stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I started putting loads of harmonies on top and then... I got carried away. <laughs> Mark, do you have other stories in mind to tell for future albums? I got one or two ideas. Yeah, I mean, Northumbria is a pretty rich historical region, um, and I guess you know I, I I don't position myself in any way as any kind of like historical expert. You know, I I when it came to writing my PhD, I had, I read what I needed to read, kind of thing. So it's it wasn't like it was just coming naturally you know it was a music phd that the music side of it is what came naturally to it um but yeah there's a, there are a lot of tales that that could be told um, you know not least of which uh the vikings arriving not least of which um something called the lindisfarne gospels which are you know one of the most important books in the history of england um and uh Coincidentally, the Lindisfarne Gospels—they um, tend—they're one of these artifacts that tend to get moved around from museum to museum. It's like a national treasure, and uh, they're coming to, to to Newcastle later this year for um, for a few months um, at a big gallery. And they've got a whole series of spin-off projects that are going on, and they've got this like website hub of any projects that are related to the subject, and 
um, Arth's had its listing on there as well because Cuthbert is connected to the mm-hmm. Gospels and so on. So there are all kinds of other stories that could be could be told. Sure. Yeah. I'm picturing, but I'm picturing you like 15 records into your career and like maybe something about the local council arguing over a roundabout or something like that. That's probably what you, you want to wrap it up if you get to that point. Well, let me tell you, Jay, I tell you, this, I'll tell you this funny story. So when we started approaching um, local organizations to say, right, we want to promote Northumberland. We want to bring people's interest about, you know, to, to come and visit and see where these tales happened. And we, I spoke to, it's called Visit Northumberland, which is the tourist information uh, co- company. And I, I, it took some chasing. I emailed them and emailed and emailed and phoned them and try and get a response out of these people. And eventually I got a response that said, and the quote was, we cannot see that there is a strong enough connection with what you're doing in Northumberland. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, um, we hate metal. Well, that's fucked up, man, because it is a sort of like, hey, I drew a map, and they're like, yeah, we don't see how a map relates to us in any way, even though it's made up of this exact area. And what, what, what we were offering to do, by the way, was every press release, because there were like the three promo tracks, every promo track had its own press release, um, and there was an introduction video as well. So the four press releases going out, and we offered to put any any organization that wanted to get involved, we would put their logo on the bottom of every press release. Mm-hmm. We would put their link on the Prophecy website. And so this was going to be, and I think the mailing list is like, I think Prophecy said it was like 30,000 people or something, plus 1,500 metal press all over the world. We're going to get all this information. And Visit Northumberland said, we cannot see a strong enough connection. <laughs> Nothing like free press, huh? Yeah. Such a great idea. Don't you hate it when that stuff goes awry? Unbelievable. So are, are you going to try and play this live at all? Um, so it wasn't initially conceived as a lot as something that would happen live because mm-hmm. with all those layers, but you work with choirs, right? Yeah, I do. So you could um, conceivably put something together. I could, but it would need a lot of people. Right. Um, it was initially conceived to be studio only. However, when I was talking to prophecy, they're like, if the opportunity arose, would you consider doing something live? And I said, yes. Um, but it would it would need a lot of people to make it sound like the album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But one of the alternatives is, you know, the music was originally written on piano. So there's nothing stopping me. I could easily do a version of the album on my own or with a cello or maybe add an acoustic guitar. You know, the music could be, I, I mean, I literally reinterpret music for a living. So mm-hmm. I could present it in lots of different ways. Um, and there's already been a few sort of conversations with one or two possibilities about um presenting it live in one way or the other. So I think I'm probably 80 to 90% confident that it will happen live in some form or other this year. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink, say no more. Just just make sure Dan's involved (laughs) because clearly he's the unsung hero of (laughs) Arth. Cheers, Dan. (laughs) Cheers to Dan. Anybody else have any other questions? I don't have a question. I have a comment, Mark. I would not rule out a career in spoken word because I could listen to you talk for about 14 <laughs> days in a row. Um, and maybe it's hilarious, Matt. I, I have that written down too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Audiobooks. Like you should do it. Honestly, if you could just take everything I need to listen to and just say it with your voice, I would. my life would be so much better. <laughs> <laughs> wait, let's tell, wait, let's tell my wife that. Yeah. So if anybody's telling you to do extreme vocals, be like, you know what? Matt says no. He just wants Mark as Mark. So we can't damage these chords. Mm-mm. No, they're no, perfect. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cheers, bro. Mm-hmm. 
This is Hannes Grossman, and you're listening to the Metalheads podcast. All right. <laughs> Why don't we do our T-shirt and beer check? This is something we do every episode to see what everybody's wearing and what they are drinking. Metal and beer go hand in hand, and there's a lot of metal breweries, so we like to you know share what we're up to. And as the guest, Mark, uh, I see you've been consuming something. What do you, what, what do you have? Oh, it's not very spectacular. I have to confess, it's just a bottle of uh, regular Star Apartment. I'm not a big lager drinker, but I do think that Star Apartment is quite a decent, quite a decent one. So, yeah, I got a bottle of Star Apartment. And do I do my T-shirt at the same time? Yeah, yeah. Like, what are you wearing? So I've got an Imperium shirt on. Oh, nice. Uh, right now. Nice. Uh, fellow nice. fellow prophecy band. Right on. Marcus, what about you? Yeah, I'm wearing an amorphous shirt. Mark pointed it out. So mm-hmm. from the new album Halo, which I love. And um, I just finished, I'm drinking mead, and I just finished uh, Bremminghorn's Wild Hunt, mm. which was uh, mead with red grape, cinnamon, nutmeg, cardamom, cloves, ginger, juniper berries, black pepper, and allspice. Wow, there's a lot more than... And now I've moved on. I don't know what Mark's talking about because clearly anybody can make a mead because I did one for my comic. Hey, Burning horn. <laughs> so oh, well, clearly I'm just late to the party. Then. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm drinking my by the horns uh, mead that I um, I had a hand in making. Um, so it's dragon fruit with vanilla mead. So cheers. Right on. Yeah, Mark um, Marcus San is a comic book writer, among That's other things. Awesome. One of his many skills. Yeah, I mean, this is the best. I mean, I, kn- I know exactly what Mark's talking about because I was like, should I ask him about doing a mead? Because, I, I mean, I'm a comic writer. I'm known, but not that known. You know what I mean? And they were all over it. And it's good stuff, Of course, stuff, we too. have a relationship with, uh, with Brimming Horn, but, uh, but yeah, yeah it, was, it's, it was really fun to do. Matt. Okie doke. Uh, I am wearing Crip Sermon mm. t-shirt. Yes. Um, Making purple metal sermon. again. Damn right. Um, I started the afternoon with uh, a beer called Double Shot Double Black, which is from a brewery from my hometown of Duluth. It's a uh, bourbon barrel aged dark ale, and the variant I was drinking was from 2017. Uh, the last one I had was fabulous. And right now I'm drinking a beer called Hell, and that is from Wayfinder. Oh. All right. And that's what I know. John. Nice. Uh, so my shirt, I may have worn this before in here. I, don't, I can't remember. At some point, you cycle through your shirts. I'm wearing uh, Cats in Space from Devin Townsend. <laughs> it's from the Empath album. Anything with Devin Townsend and Cats, I'm going to buy. <laughs> because he's the only one who's got balls to do it. Uh, my first beer was Hopnosis from Firestone Walker. Uh, big fan of Firestone Walker out in California. They just make outstanding beers. They do no wrong. They, no, they don't. And they are one of the best barrel agers in the country, as far as I'm concerned. John, my cat's her, in that box back there. <laughs> <laughs> He's been there the whole time. I keep waiting for it to come out. Your next meet's got to have something to do with a cat in a box, then, Marcus. <laughs> I'm the cat in the box. In the box. It's weird because I unpacked that, that box, right? And of course, he went in it. And I, I just have to leave it up there. And I have to keep that tower up there of comics just oh, so yeah. we can lay in it. Yeah. Now I'm going to be looking at the back of your head to see like a tail's like above right. your head the whole time. Because Mohawk is moving. So so should get up. I've moved on to a second beer uh, from Allagash Brewing. Uh, Curio, I think is how you say it. Yes. There's the bottle. Real good. Can't really see it. It's just kind of blurred out there. Sorry, but it's a 
barrel aged triple. I'm a huge fan of Belgian beers, and Allagash is one of the better breweries in America for making Belgian oh, beers. So. John, I just had this triple called Degare. Have you ever had this? That. Holy fuck. Was that, that was the best five, I've ever dude. had. I, I've nice. never given a five on untapped. From awesome. which brewery? Um, should I do De Brouwers? I'll take a look at I'll take a look at your uh, your check-ins. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I got it uh, here in Chicago. And, yeah, you have a beer temple there. Uh, yeah, the beer temple, and I just asked him because I don't see a lot of Belgian triples that often. You know, I said, "What's the what's the best Belgian triple you have?" I had a lot, and they gave me this one. I'm like, we don't get this very often, but it's the best one I ever had. Well, yeah, usually in the U.S., you know, if you're going to get a any kind of a Belgian style beer, it's from a Belgian brewery. Uh, but we do have a few. American breweries that do outstanding work. Not many, but we do have a few. You know, I, I understand that a Belgian triple is, is completely different than a triple IPA, but that just reminded me of... A and race. it's spelled different, too. I know. <laughs> but it reminded me of the other day at the beer store, I saw that Flying Dog had a triple IPA, and it was mm-hmm. 18 plus percent. Yeah. Ooh, I was I like, it. holy crap. That's like, you know, you that's, that's like, it looks it's over at wine structure. and says... <laughs> pussy yeah you know <laughs> it's yeah. like i was like no nah, it's gonna be way too sweet so i went with the double that was only like 12 but yeah i now. mean you're you, you're gonna get some um some hop explosions on your tongue when you get to those triple ipas yeah it says a uh, browerge van steenberg I'm, I'm no i'm butchering that but uh okay i'll take a look marcus did, when did, did you just check it in recently yes mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I probably just toasted you like an hour ago. You did toast it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so Mark, what we're talking about, we have a, an app called Untapped, and you can check yeah, in I've, your beers. I've, yeah. I'm familiar with it. So, yeah, okay, uh, good. The, the guys in Winterfell are really into craft beer. Um, yes. But I, well, I, I took a long time to be convinced, so I've only dabbled a little. I'm not, I'm not as much of an aficionado as you guys. Well, it's fun because, uh, one, I can't remember what I drink all the time, but I, I do pay attention to what my friends drink. And so Marcus Samuel knows this and Matt knows this. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen George or Jan there. Recently, not for a while. That's a, not for a while. That's okay. What I'll do is I won't go on for about four or five days. And then when I finally have a beer, yeah. I go and I'm like, yeah. oh, for fuck's sake. And so I'm literally toasting every beer. So all these guys are getting like multiple yeah. pop-ups on the screen. And I'm just like, at one point I'm like, fuck these guys, man. I'm going to nail their ass right now. And I'll do like 10 of them in a row. Yeah. Matt drinks every beer. minute though. He's posting yeah. like every totally. minute. Usually. Totally. That's so, where like, so it's things like, you know, like TR, I met TR twice in my life, but when I met, when I saw him at Metalhead, the, the Decibel Fest this year, I felt like I'd known him my whole life because we're, we're constantly, and John, you included, we're constant, you know, but I talked to you on the podcast, like we're constantly toasting each other, seeing what each other's drinking. Yeah. It's almost, you know, like having yeah. a beer together. quote unquote. Yeah, exactly. Then I'm like, well, if they're drinking, I guess I might as well drink. Yeah. yeah. Enablers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But find that Dabare. That's freaking. I will. I will. Whew. Mark, so, do you have, not to interrupt, but do you have something? Do you have a specific type of style of beer you like to drink? Or, you know, are you more of uh, like a. I do, tend to like, I do tend to like the uh, IPAs. That's yes. kind of that, that kind of ballpark. Um, it took me a while. So I, I used to drink. Um, it's quite sort of boring standards as, as the guys in Winterfield call them brown ales, like oh, Newcastle, no shit, no shit, super, supermarket brownie ales kind mm-hmm. of thing, or, or lagers. And it was only really like two or three years ago of them, the guys constantly hiring, like, you really should drink coffee, you really should drink coffee. I was like, right, I'm gonna get some, and just you know, like you do, 
there's there are a million different ones and you just start picking names you like like betting on mm-hmm. a horse right mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah oh that, that sounds like a good name mm-hmm. of course cuz could be a shit beer but yeah, uh, yeah so you just pick, pick a random selection and it took me about a month i'm i've never to be honest i'm not a huge drinker so i'll i'll happily have a couple on a weekend two or three times mm-hmm. uh, that, that's enough for me and uh but it it was um about a month later i went I think my taste buds have really changed. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really enjoying these sort of like tastier beers. And my wife had popped to the supermarket and she bought me like, I've got you a beer that I know you like. And I can't remember what it was, but it was the kind of beer that I used to drink. And it just tasted like water. Like, <laughs> wow. Like yeah. in only a month, only a month or so, mm-hmm. my, t- my taste buds have completely changed. And I haven't really gone back. Like I said before, I don't really drink a lot of lager, but if I do have an occasional lager, it tends to be one of the sort of stronger, tastier ones like Star Apartment. So yeah, my, my taste buds have definitely changed for sure. Yeah. Hey Mark, nice. it's it's changed a lot though, hasn't it, in England, uh, craft beer? Because I was last there in 2015. I was in London, and we went to a couple places that were like beer bars, and they were saying how the last couple of years things had really changed a lot. That there were more craft breweries in England, and when we were there, uh, I was with Tr, the Metalheads Butler, nice. uh, who's one of our extended Metalheads Butler. Metalheads and, Butler. Um, they were actually, a lot of the breweries in England were pairing up with breweries in America, kind of like this friendship thing, and they were working with each other, and it seemed like the industry was really starting to explode there. And it was fun because I was like, man, I've never heard of these breweries. Let's get in. Let's drink some of these things here. Is, is that been the case? I mean... Yeah, I mean, huge, hugely popular, like in just regular supermarkets, there'll be little little sort of craft, crafty beer kind of like... You know, they all come in like these pretty cans. And oh, of course, yeah. Cra- mm-hmm. Crazy logos. So, so yeah, I tend to just randomly pick two or three if I'm mm-hmm. in the supermarket and 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 see, and see how I get on. And I've also joined. It's called uh, Honest Brew in mm-hmm. in this in this country, which is like a subscription. So you, they just automatically take ten pounds from your account every month, and yeah. then you gra- when you remember that you've got some credit, you then just go and buy a selection of beer randomly oh. and oh, nice. deli- deli- deliver them to the house. So uh, a, f- a few times a year, I'll just order you know like 10 bottles of something or a yeah. random selection of cans that look good so like i'm not i'm not aficionado but i, I do i do really enjoy it for sure no that's yeah. great it's, it's fun cool. to nice. explore and try things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. jay what kind of coffee are you drinking right now i just said peanut butter sandwich so i'm drinking water but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh too early for coffee also, uh, <laughs> late. In, in honor of mark i think there should be, actually be a craft beer called like betting on a horse by the way yeah. so just to throw that out there mm-hmm. and then my t-shirt today is the lemmy and short shorts <laughs> oh, nice. that is so, do you have a, you have a slayer hoodie on right and i believe he is drinking a corona so if that counts yeah. i don't know yeah yeah hey jay uh, you saw his interview when they asked him about those short shorts, right? Yeah. He said, why would you wear shorts that come down here? Those aren't shorts. Those are just pants. cut off the, pants. Yeah, <laughs> these are shorts. Yeah. And you're looking you're like, whoa, that's that's pretty close. Yeah. He yeah. had balls, man. And well, You can see. You can see that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, I started with uh, Brimming Horn's Black Cherry Piment, which only has honey, black cherry, grape, and Grape wine, sorry. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, that was quite tasty. And I've moved on to Spellbound, which is from Old Mother Brewing here in Frederick. Uh, and it is the official beer of Maryland Doomfest. 
Ooh, uh, oh, nice. I, I bought it because of that. Maryland Doomfest is actually about 10, 15 minutes from here at a place called Cafe 611, which is quite possibly the worst venue uh, in the world. Um, so I'm betting that the beer is was better than the show. No, oh, has to be. Not to detract from the bands that played it, but uh, the sound at that place is awful. That's not good. So... I'll drink the beer. Let me um, actually I have to also honor whoever it just was that commented. Yes, I do have a Slayer hoodie on. Yeah. Look at, look at, even the zipper's fucking cool on this thing. Man. Oh, like, wow. The, the, the inside of the hoodie's red. I mean, that's... It, it's the cover of Hello Waits. Uh, oh, wow. Demons from Hello oh, yeah. on it. Nice. They, they go a lot of Hello Waits on the inside of the hood, man. That's bad. And you want yeah. extra, it keeps you extra warm. Yeah. <laughs> Heated with hellfire. <laughs> And in in honor in honor of next week's anniversary show at Adroit Theory uh, Brewing in Percival, Virginia, that Will is also putting on. I'm wearing my Adroit Theory shirt. Uh, so next weekend, John and I will be with Will uh, seeing Loud Night, who have been on the podcast, uh, mm-hmm. Local Boys, Genocide Pact, and Full of Hell. So nice. Looking forward to that. I just realized I can order a droid theory again because I'm yes. I could get it in Hawaii. So so Mark, I lived in Hawaii for two years and then I moved back to Chicago. I lived in Chicago for 20 years. So I could order from a droid theory when I was in Hawaii early in the pandemic and then they stopped doing it. So now I, I just realized I can I can order beers from them again. I'm gonna do that. I love their beer. Droid Theory is a um a brewery that specializes in heavy octane beers Intense. with a mm-hmm. heavy metal influence. And I'm not saying heavy metal. I mean a heavy space metal influence. It's they're very metal adjacent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Their, the their owner, style. Mark Osborne's a metalhead. Uh, a lot of skulls, which if you're a metalhead, <laughs> yeah. who doesn't love a skull, right? Exactly. You know, so, so. Can I, who, doesn't can lo- I... who doesn't love a monk carrying a coffin? Exactly. <laughs> nobody, metal, nobody, not, nobody does not like. <laughs> yeah. Can I step back to Jay's hoodie for one second? I just realized that like so many times people ask me a question and really my answer to them should be, well, hello waits. <laughs> we should probably all use that phrase more. That's right. Yeah, good call. Mine's oh. going to be Monk carrying a coffin. Well, also, by the way, Monk carrying a, a coffin, another good name for a craft brew. Mark's just made oh, yeah. one today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, and those are pronounceable, which is awesome. Always helps. Yeah, always helps. <laughs> Hello, waits. Yeah, <laughs> us all. All right, let's move on to the news. <laughs> Initially, uh, there wasn't really going to be much of anything because. Uh, Russia invading Ukraine is pretty much all you hear about anywhere all the time. And honestly, you know, it's, it's so fucked up that, uh, I don't know. I mean, what can you say? You know, we talked about this a little bit last time. It's fucked up. It's ridiculous that this is still going on. And I hope, I hope it ends soon. Um, can I give you a Sergey update? Yes, please. Okay. Cause uh, just well, some of them is some, well, first off his wife is doing, Free art classes for Ukrainian children. They are Ukrainian, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, both Sergei and his wife are Ukrainian. Uh, well, let Mark know who Sergei is, though, Jay. Oh, he's the bass player of the band I Plan, and um, he's uh, he's he immigrated to America maybe 
maybe eight years ago, became a citizen recently, still totally Ukrainian, as is his wife. And um, his mother and her mother are both still in Ukraine. His wife is a very talented um, artist, and she is doing art classes every night at midnight, which is whatever time it is in Ukraine, and it's overloaded every night. She's running out of Zoom play spots. All these Ukrainian children in Ukraine are joining her for art. So, so that happens every night. I asked uh, Sergei, uh, what, <laughs> what's his mom? How's his mom and his wife's mom coming? And this is how Eastern European they are. And that his, both of them were like, ah, they want them to come over. And they're like, yeah, we'd come over, but who will take care of my tomatoes in the spring? <laughs> so, like that's how, that is how like, you know, second nature, really this kind of constant ongoing disaster and tragedy is. So, and he was just like, whatever, dude, you know, so, but they are working on green cards for his parents, for his mom and her mom and, and whatever. And they're still pretty safe. His, both of their parents are in the middle of the country. Mm. Yeah. So not currently being shelled or anything, but right. Yeah. And he's doing okay. His wife's, his wife's more stressed out than he is, but he doesn't tend to stress out. He's, he lived through all that shit. So, mm-hmm. so far so good. All right. Well, for lack of a better way to put it, by the way, I know it's serious. And if anybody gets a chance to watch Arnold Schwarzenegger's little video mm-hmm. he made about Ukraine, watch it. Hmm. Well, I, I was going to bring that up, Jay, because I just watched it last night. It's kind of he, fucking moving. It is. Well, he appeals to the people of Russia yeah. I thought, to let them know that, you know, they've been getting all this propaganda and a lot of it is lies and what, what's happening is not really what's happening. I thought that was, it was pretty moving and. Well, um, he does it under he does it under the guise of two things. Though one is this Russian hero he had when he was a child, when he first mm. became a weightlifter, and then also, which was long known about his dad, that his dad was a Nazi, was in the Nazi army, mm-hmm. and that's always been kind of hush hush. And he comes out and talks about it in this video. Yes. And yeah, well, he's hugely popular in Russia. In fact, he was almost named ambassador to Russia. Is that right? Yeah, because he has such ties there. Oh, it's so, just, I actually um, did not know that. I know, I mean, I know what he said in the video, but I, uh, I thought that was such a nice video. He's turned out to be such a nice guy. I actually follow him on Facebook and he has like these two <laughs> miniature ponies that yeah. he just loves to death and he feeds them at his table and stuff. Uh-huh. He's fun to watch, to watch his videos on Facebook. He, and and he, he had this to say about us. You're listening to the Metalheads podcast. And if you don't <laughs> listen, then the hell with you. <laughs> Hello, AJ. I'll say this real quick. If you want to know anything about him as a person, just watch the documentary Pumping Iron. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. It's but did just, you? Yeah. It's, but when he was young, you, to be fair, he was a young man. He was, but it just yeah. gives you insight into his how his mind works a little bit. Yeah. So. Yeah. He um, also, the only other thing I'll mention, and this is not like the Schwarzenegger love fest or something, but was when he was also very much on the side of truth and science with the pandemic and stuff. And I loved when he got his shot because he got his shot. He was in his car. He did it in a drive through thing. And whoever was filming it, then he looked right at the camera and said, come with me if you want to live. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fucking awesome, dude. Yeah. Never, never one to not pass up the moment, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, pretty much the only Republican I like. Yeah. Well, I, I sent you that meme the other day, right? The, uh, it was, uh, Stallone going, hey guys, I'm gonna do a movie about composers. I'm gonna be Mozart, and and Van Damme was like, oh, I'll be uh, Beethoven, and and Arnold was like, guys, I'm not gonna say it. Of course, right. they wanted he's I'll be Bach. Bach. 
Okay, I got it. Wow. <laughs> that was a new low here in this yeah, podcast. Wow. It was. Sorry. All right. It was from a dad joke thing on no, Facebook. Yeah, it was a dad joke. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, we we do have actually two news items that were last minute, so only I have them on my list. One of them is the fact that today is the 40th anniversary of the death of Randy Rhodes. So we wanted to note that. Um, wow, 40 years. He was only 25 years old. He'd be 65 now. That's crazy. Damn. Yeah. I, I sent that to George because I saw that today, and I was like, damn it. Okay, so I actually was around when that, meaning like I remember that news broke, and I actually was, I had tickets to go see Ozzy on the Diver Mamed tour, and he passed away. So I got Brad Gillis from Night Ranger, which he was awesome, but obviously I would have preferred to see Randy Rhodes. So, and I know I talk about it the most and I know people make comments like, Oh, you guys are so obsessed with Randy Rhodes. He really was that influential. I don't even play guitar. He was just that influential as a musician to me growing up that this little tiny guy could sound so big and was only in the spotlight for, he was in quiet, Riot, Obviously, but before quiet, Riot became popular, but it was mm-hmm. only with Ozzy for a couple of years. And yeah. his myth gets bigger and bigger every year. And it yeah. should. It should. I, I, my only regret with him personally is that he didn't have, I don't even know if he, if he had a longer career, we could have judged better. But what he did was amazing in that short amount of time. He, he was a groundbreaker. And it's just the reason people don't get it, John, who are like younger than us is because so many guys came in after him and were so shreddy crazy and stuff. But at the time, the guy was... And when it still is actually, if you ask me, if you listen to him, you know, he's still, he's one of the great rock guitarists ever. You know, period. Yeah. I just, I just read a little bit about him again. Say, I already knew all this, but just hearing how he was going to quit Ozzy's band because they had fired Bob Daisley and, and Lee Kerslake. And he was like, I'm not playing anymore with you. He was that loyal to those guys. Um, and he was only 25. And you would think at that point, you'd be more worried about your career. And he was more worried about letting his friends down. And well, he wanted to go do classical stuff too. That's right. and, and he yeah. was already in that phase. So who knows yeah. what he would have done. If he would have gone that route, he obviously I think would have, his chops would have gotten even better. So, yeah. Yeah. He, I also, since we're talking about him, um, read an interesting interview. I found some old interview with him recently and he was really disappointed in Diary of a Madman because, but he was disappointed in himself. He was like, we had all this time with Blizzard of Oz and we had like two weeks on that one. And I and he said there's like three parts of it where I play that I'm like really proud of it. He said the rest is just me doing. He really he he wanted time to innovate. It didn't really, which I to me it's a very <laughs> innovative. So whatever. But, I know. Yeah. 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 The other news item, uh, we we rail against the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a lot because of well, there's all kinds they of suck. reasons to rock uh, to rail against them. Um, and uh, the other day, Dolly Parton uh, declined to be nominated for the rock and roll hall of fame because she said she didn't think she belonged there. Um, I don't know if her reasoning is the same as ours in that, well, she's a country music person and that's not technically rock and roll, but regardless of what her reason was, it was a pretty uh, interesting and, and kind of a cool thing for her to do. However, the rock and roll hall of fame being the asshats that they are declined to decline <laughs> What? They yeah, said, no, no, we're keeping you on the ballot. Yeah. Even though she said she doesn't want to go in, which yeah. is shitty because 
I don't know what her reason is for it, other than the fact I do. I read her statement, but go ahead, John, and I'll tell you what she said. Right. I mean, I'm assuming she doesn't think she's rock and roll, but I also think there's more to it. I'm wondering if she's seeing there's other artists on there that should be in. That's exactly before it. her. And I'm thinking, and I'm not playing identity politics here, but I'll just I will for this one particular thing. Pat Benatar is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, whether you like her or not. She's not in. And I can't imagine someone like Dolly Parton, who plays country, is saying, wow, I should be in before her. Well, her, her statement was even more graceful. Well, yeah, it's the, been extremely graceful. Well, what she so what she said, though, was something to the effect of, um, I'm not a rock musician. But then she goes on to say, but I love rock music, and I've always wanted to make a rock record. And this makes that, yeah. me think I should probably get around to making that rock record. But in the meantime, I'd sooner step out of the way and let somebody who really deserves this have it. Exactly. I mean, I'm not Gotta love Dolly. Pat Benatar. I'm just... I'm making reference to the fact that the hall is always trying to kind of make themselves look like the better place by including all these people in it. Well, they should and just change the name to the like music hall of fame exactly. or something, you know, it's then nobody would give a shit anymore. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, I, don't yeah. should, I don't even think we should ever cover them because they always make bad choices. No, yeah. So Iron Maiden is not in the rock and roll hall of fame. Well, it's not that Marcus. You know what I think it is like, for me. It's more, it's for the fans that have supported these bands to them. It gives them the acknowledgement because let's be honest. Mainstream media has just basically thumbed metal for years. They, they, they thumb progressive rock for years at Rolling Stone until they realized Rush was cool to put on their cover. And then they made a buck off of them, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's more just for the fans to finally say, see, we did listen to cool music. We know that already. Yeah. We know. We don't care about the whole, but you want to see your, your heroes we, get in that you we like. We need to start our Metal Hall of Fame. There yeah, is I know. One. I know. Well, there is one, actually. Yeah, there is one. But, yeah, but they put too many of those '80s hard rock bands in there that I don't like. So, yeah. but they, there is one. There is actually a, a hard rock and heavy metal Hall of Fame now. Eddie right. Trunk's involved with it. Yeah. So uh, let's move on to new releases then. First up, we have the new album from Black Fucking Cancer. So you know. Nice piano music. Um, <laughs> their Great second for weddings. <laughs> their second album, Procreate in Verse. They're from San Jose, and they are unsurprisingly a black metal band. Um, I liked this album, and I know Jay's been a big fan of them in the past. I don't know if you have any comment, Jay. Yeah, I love it. I think um, there's some creative element in this band, and, and I don't. I actually met one of the guys by accident one time. Uh, I was at a uh, Blair Witch show, and he and he uh, was wearing a black fucking cancer shirt, and I was like, "Hey, where'd you get that fucking shirt, man?" He goes, "Well, I'm in a band." So, oh. anyway, long story short, um, I honestly thought that was going to be a one-off, the first one. So I'm glad to hear there wasn't was a second record. I think it's great, um, and I, I love the first one. I think there's a little some extra with these guys. Yeah, I only got through it once, but uh, by the time I was done, I was definitely digging it. This is the first time I've heard it, but it's it's a wall of nihilistic destruction. Yeah, it's 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 heavy as fuck. I should have mentioned that. I would go back and listen to the first one too. The first one is totally up your alley for sure. Okay. I'd also like to point out, because Will's not here, that the track Obscene Lusting Dagger could possibly be his theme song. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next up, we have the new album from Glosen. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it or not, but it's called The Rift. It's their second album, and they're a Swedish uh, sludge post-metal band. We've talked about them on here before. John's not sitting in his chair right now, but I know he's liked them in the past. And uh, 
I don't know if anybody else has listened to this one, but uh, it's pretty it. good. It yeah, consumed pretty, my day yesterday. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. That was solid. Yeah, it's big, sludgy post metal. You know, I love the drums on the record, which I'm sure John probably likes too. So yeah, it was a good, good record. We're gonna get through all of these while John's gone, and they're all like John. Damn it, <laughs> Mark. Did you listen to any of these or no? So I can look at this list of six and say I've only ever heard of two of the bands. And, okay. and I haven't heard either of the records. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm going to take a well, guess and say one of them is Hass. Have you heard of Hass? Is that probably no, no, okay? Because no. I thought I thought oh, they were uh, English. Coolum and Laxo. Uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, and I haven't heard the new record yet. But I've got it on. I've had it on pre-order for vinyl for for months. Uh, the vinyl's going. The vinyl. It's Adele's fault. Yeah. <laughs> but what a what an impressive non-stumbly pr- pronunciation! I know you're t- you're totally well going to be done. pronouncing that when we get to it. Yeah, we'll <laughs> just pronounce everything for us. Exactly. Uh, John, do you have any uh, comments on the Golosin record? Uh, I have to admit, sorry, I had to get a beer. I had to dispense of a beer and I had to get a beer. So you could do the math on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have not heard the black fucking cancer yet. And I have not heard the Glossin yet. I'm sorry. Okay. okay. Well, what about the Hath record? All that was promised their second album, New Jersey. Prague Black Death. Oh, they're from Jerry Nichols. I love it. I think the last one was good too. Half is a band to watch for the future. I'm telling you, these guys are going somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, thought, I know Marcus. On you like this last. I'll let you go first. I think it's one of the best albums I've heard this year, and that's saying something considering how many records have already come out. It's just a darkly ferocious blast of of black and death, and it has razor sharp execution on it. I thought I liked the last album, but it meandered a little bit for me. This one is just really focused. It's great. Yeah. I know Jay, and of course Jay leaves. I was going to mention him. I know Jay mentioned that uh, when he talked about half a while back, he mentioned that he heard a lot of Opeth in them. And I didn't hear that with uh, the first, the debut album, but I guess on the EP, there is a little bit and it's almost a little too much. Um, not that that's a bad thing, but you know, you're starting out, people are going to right away start pigeonholing you. And I think they added this more kind of blackened sound to their, to their style of death metal, mm-hmm. progressive death metal, I should say, mind you, it's not straight up death metal. And I, I think that they've done that with the last two albums, their debut in this one. I like this one a lot too. It, it, I'm not a huge blackened death fan. I don't know why you think I would like it. Cause I like both jo- subgenres, but mm-hmm. I do like them. Uh, they got a, killer album cover it just slays what they did with it mm-hmm. um and i believe my friend serge who sometimes posts on our new music fridays you see him post on there i think he might know someone from the band mm-hmm. actually because they're from jersey and he lives in uh, new brunswick new jersey so or in that area i should say right so, it's cool that's a really good record so next we have the new Convent album, Convent with a K, Call Down the Sun. This is their second album. They're a death doom band from Denmark. I liked the first one. I got to say I wasn't as thrilled with this one. Well, I disagree with that one. I, I liked the last one, but I felt it was a little too basic and one-dimensional for me. So Call Down the Sun, it's heavy as fuck, and there's just more meat on the bones to this one. So I think it's a pretty strong follow-up. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, um, the singer, I think her name is Ricky Emily. Her vocals are great. So it's got a couple of repeat spins, uh, from me, but, uh, so I like this one quite a bit more than the last one. Last one, I think I spun a couple times this mm-hmm. one, uh, more into cool. 
Um, so next we have an album, or rather a band, that I'm going to ask Mark to pronounce again. <laughs> well, I'm not, a, I'm not a Finnish, a Finnish aficionado, but I believe it's Kuala Malakso. That because, sounds because right to fin- me. Do you, want to hazard, do you want to hazard the album title too? No. No. Uh, but in, <laughs> but in, in, in Finnish, they always put an, uh, an emphasis on the first, first syllable. So as in English, you might have assumed it might be Kulam and Lakso. I think you'll have to say Kulam and Lakso. They, right. they always emphasize the first syllable. In, so in then the album might be Kusumu? Kusumu, I would think. I don't know. But uh, so out of the bands on this list, which I must confess, I, I feel like I'm not contributing to very much. This is a band that I've previously been really into, um, primarily because of the singer. Mm, from uh, Swallow the Sun. Yeah, I'm a huge Swallow the Sun fan. Um, yeah, there we go. So, um, yeah, the first two records I've been really into, um, although they made a third record that uh, had, um, I, th- I seem to remember it was a sort of, a, originally intended to be some kind of spin-off project by the guitarist, and it ended, uh, ended up coming out under the Coolum and Laxo name. But um, no, I've had this album on pre-order for some months. Uh, the uh, vinyl, vinyl is not yet out, but... Uh, Spark Records, being a great label, uh, sent a download code the other day to the people who had pre-ordered the uh, final as an apology. Nice. So uh, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing that very soon. Dude, and do you like the new album? I thought it was pretty well, good. He, right? he said he, had, he hasn't listened, listened to it yet. Oh, you haven't listened? Oh, I'm sorry. I no, apologize. Okay. No, no, I, I haven't heard it yet, but I really like the first two records. So that's why I've had, it, had that on pre-order. Mm-hmm. Well, I will say that they did comment. We do a thing on Fridays called New Music Friday, and I listed them as one of the albums I was listening to, because I usually post it and I put my list in and everyone posts after that. And uh, somebody had said, I can't remember, somebody here can correct me, that they didn't know it or hadn't heard it. And someone from the band just responded and said, we're awesome. Yeah, That's all they said. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, well, if that's not enough reason for you to listen to them, then I can't help you from there. (laughs) I listened to it. I I I I did see the video for the first track. They released like a a preview track and I wasn't sure. It sounded like their sound had changed somewhat, but I'd rather wait until I hear the full thing. Right on. Yeah, I enjoyed it. All right. Last new release, the new album from Midnight, Let There Be Witchery. It's their fourth album. They're a Cleveland black speed band. We just saw them back in September at the Decibel Metal and Beer Fest. What a show put, they put on. Um, I think I like them better live than I do uh, on album. But, uh, you know. I feel like we've seen them a lot recently. Well, they played for the shows that we've gone to. Yeah. yeah. And they've played Atlas. Yeah. Um, I saw them but, at Atlas, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, mean, live, they're amazing. Yeah. I think if Will was here, he'd be much more he'd of a, all, all over this. But He uh, loves them. To yeah. me, I'm like, ah, I've already got Motorhead. I don't need Midnight. <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> you know? I think you're completely different. <laughs> well, and Motorhead doesn't wear any masks. Exactly. You know, that's, so that's, that's, that's the difference. That's a, Unless, I feel like they translated the, the live energy to this studio album more so than the other ones. I mean, I it's like not that I don't like it, but it just it, yeah. it, it hits me better live. Yeah, I mean, they're a great live band, but I think this one it gets that energy going in the album more so than the ones in the past. I really like this one. Mm-hmm. Now, is this one dude? Because I see all the new press stuff. It just has one guy they're showing. Or is it actually a, a band of, they're all equal members? Does anyone yeah. know? Well, they are they have videos with a bunch of people in them. Yeah, so I, because Decibel had the one. Go ahead. 
I was going to say Despel has just the one guy on the cover, so I wasn't sure if. Right. Um, yeah, he must be the mastermind. I'm not sure if it's one guy. Or it could have just been anybody a... with the mask on, you know. Yeah. Hey, put a, put a black hood on and say it's midnight, you know. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that's what it was, uh, you know, if he wrote the music. I wasn't sure if it was Ghost, you know, where it's like 87 different band members in one dude, <laughs> you know, who plays the Pope on every different album. So, right. No, I think they're a band, but it's the one guy that okay. writes the music. Okay, got it. Cool. Fair enough. All right, let's move on to what we are listening to. Mark, what have you been listening to lately? It can be, you know, a number of things. Sometimes we only have a couple. Sometimes I have been known to have 30, you know, so. Yeah, I'd lis- I listen to a lot of music. Uh, I tend to be a real sort of, um, I go through periods of only listening to one thing. I'm like a really obsessive listener. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'd like only listen to Doom for like nine months and then suddenly without warning, I'd be only listening to Black Metal for a year. It's weird. It's unexplainable. I, I do Sometimes that too. Like, I have periods. Yeah. Only It could be only a fortnight. It could, I, I went through about 18 months without hearing a Black Metal record. It was weird. I, I just, I come in and out of moods and then really obsessively Robert Warren go down to the ends of that genre and start researching bands on... I'm just obsessive-compulsive. It's, it's it's the only way to put it. Yeah. So uh, I'm in a real black metal phase at the moment. I hadn't heard any black metal for ages, and I've been obsessed the last few weeks. So uh, I've been listening to a lot of uh, Death Spell Amiga. I've been listening mm. to a lot of uh, Bloodhouse Nord. I've been listening mm. to a lot a lot of Drucked and, and Croda, and the, you know, some of the Ukrainian bands, and... Uh, a lot of um, Roman from Druk's other projects like Windswept and and Blood of Kingu and um, Precambrian and yeah, so I've been on a really ferocious black metal. I mean, I've been going to sleep to Deathspell Omega mm-hmm. the last few nights. So both Deathspell um, Omega and Blue Dallas Nord have new albums out imminently. Yeah, yeah, I just pre-ordered the uh, both yesterday. Actually, mm-hmm. yeah, nice. Um, did you uh, did you hear the new song from the Blue Dallas Nord yet? Uh, yes, just once yesterday, just once, yeah. Yeah, I fi- it, it's interesting, isn't it? It was hypnotic. Yeah, I, fi- I find I find both of those bands, um, you really have to be in the right mood. So, yeah. like, the, one, uh, the early Deathspell Amiga album, See Monumentum Circumspice, or whatever it's called, is just like an instant smash hit. But all those last sort of five or six records they've made are just so sort of gnarly and dissonant. And, um, and I find, I think of Deathspell Omega in the same way as I think of Ulcerate, the Death Metal band. Mm-hmm. From, yeah. from, are they from New Zealand? New Zealand, um, yeah. uh, In that, if you just listen to it in passing, it's just like, phew, it's just, it's like throwing a band down the stairs. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's just an, it's just this weird sort of cacophony of noise. But when you <laughs> give it some repeat plays, like I've seen Ulcerate live, and it's just ridiculously ferocious. I mean, it's extraordinary. Thanks. So, um, yeah, Despel Amiga, I, I think I dis- slightly had dismissed their later records. And in the last few weeks, I've given them some heavy spin. I'm like, these are great, man. What a great, really unusual band. So, and mm-hmm. yeah, Bloodhouse Nord can make so many different sounds, can't they? What a huge yeah. catalogue. What a huge catalogue. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's pure 90s Norwegian black metal. And it's really easy to get into and really enjoyable. And sometimes it's almost dissonant industrial and you've got to almost work for it. But um, yeah, they're, they're two great bands, but uh, you have to be in the right mood for them for sure. 
Definitely. Great. Yeah. Anything else you want to mention? Uh, I checked out uh, the new Ghost album this week. Mm -hmm. Um, Ghost are a band that I kind of really don't want to love as much as I perhaps do, but I I kind (laughs) of feel like I should. Yeah, I felt like a guilty pleasure. (laughs) But um, I've got a lot of friends who are really, really obsessed, like uh, Marco, who runs the... um, the merch department, uh, the merch store for Prophecy is a, is a, a ghost obsessive. Like he's ordered like 10 different pressings of this new album. Wow. Uh, and I have to say that when they released the three promo tracks for the album, I really thought the first two were great. And I thought the third one was utterly shit. Like, <laughs> it is the, the worst track they've ever released. In, I've uh, heard that from a lot 20, of people. 20s, the track, it's called 20s. It's it's just awful. I mean, it's yeah. just shit. Like had a new metal band released it, you'd be like, get away with you mm-hmm. I'd, I, but um in the context of the album it kind of makes a bit more sense but i would say it's currently my least favorite ghost record but i know some people are loving it they just uh were they on jimmy fallon the other night i mean they just i think it was the other jimmy American television yeah the, huge come on yeah playing big places man um yeah. they just show up in like my youtube feed and it's people dropping you know videos on there and yeah. they're, playing, they're playing fucking they're, arenas now well, they're, yeah. they're doing that tour with volbeat i feel like oh yeah uh, well that's gonna be huge yep. yeah oh oh it's not it's not that's not what's going on right now though you mean that's forthcoming i think so i don't yeah. think it's true they're they're in europe currently they're about to play the uk they're, they're touring with a band called uh, uncle acid and the deadbeats oh yeah oh, sure. that's another that. nice. shit yeah they Mm-hmm. They're gonna be yeah. just getting keep getting bigger no matter what they play, whether you like them or not. They're just gonna keep getting bigger. So I wonder if they might be friendly too, because I feel like I saw Ghost with that band one time. I think. Anyway, I've whatever. Seen, I've seen them so many times. They, I, I, they always yeah, opening yeah. for somebody. You know? They open for King Diamond. No, I would have. Right. Yeah. yeah, I would have. No, you held the VIP. Yeah, when you did the VIP. Uh-huh. Actually, that oh. would be kind of funny to see them over King Diamond. They come out and do their shtick, and then he just comes out, and he just ha- would just be able to just stand there and say, yeah. I'm taking over now. But then also, <laughs> that's why I don't remember them, Matt, because I was standing in line for the VIP. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was um, Idle Hands, which is now Unto Others, and then yeah. Uncle Acid, and then King Diamond. Wow. Yeah, I missed. Wow, that's a big lineup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw the Idle Hands, missed Uncle Acid, and then... See, I was diamond. in line for VIP. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. gotta gotta meet King. Do it, a King. Yeah, exactly. Choice, yeah. Yeah. All right, right. Uh, Marcusan. What are you listening to? Uh, yeah. The first thing on my list is a uh, Cult Burial uh, Disorder. It's a single, um, independently released. I've spun the new Cult Burial single a lot. It's a it's a death metal hurricane banger with a macabre vibe to it i really like this band i was pretty high on their album from 2020 and then they put out an ep last year called oblivion and that was actually number two on my top five eps list even though we didn't actually count down our eps on on the podcast so um disorder is a one-off track but uh, i'm told the uh cult burial has more on the way which is uh, exciting for me because this year is crazy. Just, mm-hmm. uh, just, I am one of the few like occult burial huge fans, dude. I fucking love these guys. This first record is my favorite one so far. But I'm um, totally looking forward to the news. Just saying, occult burial. Because uh-huh. this is cult burial. Oh, okay, maybe it's a different band. Different band. <laughs> well, cult, a cult. Check, check out, out a cult, cult burial. burial. I'm check <laughs> that out too. <laughs> 
Awesome. Uh, nice. Next one is uh, Vehemence uh, Orderlies on Antique Records. And this is a really great melodic, atmospheric black metal album with a heavy medieval component to it. There's uh, different kinds of instrumentation on it, like flutes and cello and choirs, but it but it feels a lot more focused to me than the last album. It also delivers more of a traditional medieval storytelling vibe to me than, than a band like Stormkeep, which plays like a role for initiative dragon metal type stuff, more <laughs> fantasy initiative. Yeah, um, that's really cool. I really like the Vehemence record. Um, Idol of Fear, Trespasser on Somnolence Productions. It's a brooding, dark, black metal with a bit of ambient experimentation thrown in. Just really killer, slow burn metal. Taking that one a lot. Um, Massa, Close on Sfart Records. I think Mark just mentioned Sfart, actually. They do a lot of good things. This is beautifully crafted ritual sacrifice doom. So if you're into late night witchcraft metal with stunning vocals, I think you'll probably be into this one. Um, it's me leaving this world, leaving it all behind on satanic royalty records is uh, it's atmospheric progressive black metal kind of feels like a, a voyage into a, into a fantasy realm. I like the last record a lot and um, it toyed with making my list um, but the production wasn't good. And then they, they got a, a new producer to come in and redo it. <laughs> and that album, I think it's like the slings of our arrows or something was a great uh, record when it, when it had a good producer on it. And this one kind of um, picks up uh, where that one left off. So uh, I'm digging it. Uh, let's see. Iron mountain of flesh and bone. It's big rolling doomy stoner metal with um, elements of death to it dig that i'm not really as much into stoner metal but this one's pretty good and then the last one on my list is on uh, norna star is way way is i on vinter records uh, the other day i was re-listening to this great brutal post-metal band that john might know actually called the old wind they put out an album in 2016 and then they did a collaboration ep with cult of luna that same year but i hadn't seen anything from them since and then I found out that the guitarist slash vocalist formed this new band called Norna and their debut came out in February and I completely missed it. But I love this record. It's, it's dark, hypnotic doom sludge and it's heavy, man. It's freaking heavy. It's like, it's like mercury, mercury sealed in concrete heavy. That's how heavy it is. So I really like that one. So I've been spinning that one a ton lately because I just found it a couple of days ago. And that's what I got. All right. Um, so my favorite grindcore band or one of them, Wormrot from Singapore, just kicked out a new track called Behind Closed Doors. Um, they have a new album out. Well, they have a new album coming. It's called Hiss. I think it's July 8th via Earache. Um, it's a little bit thrashier than a lot of their stuff, but so far I dig it. Uh, my favorite French one metal or uh, one piece black metal band, Esau Trillium, released a couple tracks. Um, as mentioned, the new Blue Door Snore track. Definitely looking forward to the whole album coming out. Um, we got the promo for Falls of Rowers, the key to a vanishing future. Um, and I'm right. I, like, so good. I need to hear that. I need uh, to hear that immediately. <laughs> like I, the, the best that way, record. oh my gosh the best way i can <laughs> describe this album is like it's 
it's fucking gorgeous. It's beautiful. Like, and I don't normally use those words with black metal, but it is fucking beautiful. I mean, uh, I think there are bands that, yeah, I think there are bands who real sort of old school black metal aficionados yeah. will, will, will try to pretend aren't great. They're a really great. creative band. They're a really creative band. I've got a lot it, of time for Fall of Your Falls of Aurora. And for me, it's like moody. It's emotional. Um, and for someone who labels themselves bitchy, like I love it. It's so good. Well, it's also I think it's their heaviest record too. Yes, yes. It's, it's my favorite record by far, and I love all their other mm-hmm. records. This mm-hmm. record blows the other records away. I think it's great. Agree. We should send it to Mark. Actually, yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um. Also in Aphelion, the album is called Moribund. Really digging that album. Um, the new Hoth, like shit, that is so good. All that was promised, like literally is all that was promised. It's it's that good. Um, and also uh, Glossen, The Rift. Um, outside of that, um, I finished a book called The Last Days of John Lennon, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Ironically, it was written by James Patterson. I don't think of that genre. Yeah. Also, he just wrote a book with Dolly Parton. Oh, no shit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, also, ironically, uh, it was not the last days of jo- uh, John Lennon. It was kind of this like parallel stories of like a real brief overview of his life. And then like Mark David Chapman as he's traveling from Hawaii to New York to kill him. So a little bit of a true crime element, which makes sense for James Patterson. Good read, but also got me into spinning more Beatles. And then... Um, I always find myself periodically going back to dying fetus, more specifically killing on adrenaline and destroy the opposition. That's it for me. And good call on that falls of Roros. I should have had that on my list because I have been spinning that a ton. That, mm-hmm. That's so good. Pretty high on my list right now. Mm-hmm. John. All right. I just have a few. Um, first one is a band called Epitaph. They're from France. They are a death doom band. Their second album, um, just kind of like dropped out of nowhere. That's the beauty of Bandcamp. I think you can announce things and control when and how you release stuff if you do it independently. But they apparently announced the album and I listened to whatever was released. I liked it and I bought it and I got the whole album, even though it just came out for a month. And then all of a sudden they were like, uh, well, the digital's now available. The vinyl and physical copies will come out a month later. So I was like, cool. They uh, make like 20 minute death doom songs which you would think be like oh that's exhausting but for some reason they work uh so i, I like them a lot but i listened to that uh, i listened to the first one actually because you put that on your, on yeah. your friday list and and i really liked it and i can't listen to the second because you can't get it digitally you have to like buy the the disc or something so i don't listen Just to one song let me know i'll, I'll put it on the box yeah, can you throw it in the box Seriously, I definitely yeah, want to of course <laughs> i didn't know i i good. figured because it maybe it's showing up because I bought it and that's why I can see it. You bought the camp. CD and so you can get it, but you can't actually buy it digitally. It's so frustrating. Oh you yeah, get okay. the, 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 like number because it's called number two. Yes, yeah, you true. get number one. You know. Oh, I thought it was okay. What you want? But you I'll give it get number two. Remind me, I'll give it to you today. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Uh, definitely. Uh, second one. Also, I've listened to the Falls of Aurora's keys or key to a vanishing future. I would say, and Marcus on pointed this out earlier. I think this is by far their more I think it's fairly progressive in their sound, but I wouldn't say they're progressive black metal. I think they, they have some new sounds that like the opening track is mm-hmm. when I first heard that, I was like, wait a minute, this isn't an atmospheric black metal band. What's right. going on right. here? And then it kicks in and you're like, <laughs> yep. all right. It's very progressive. Yeah. But it's very it's cool. Yep. Uh, and it's, it's heavy. Great. 
but it's good. And the songs are not super long. They're all what roughly between six and eight minutes, I think all of them, which is, you know, nice. I mean, I don't like short songs. I don't like, you know, I don't want to have 15 songs on an album, but six or seven songs that are are good length is good for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Next album, Matt and I, we bond on a few things, but we, we definitely bond on the sax core. We have a side podcast called uh, sax in the city, (laughs) sax in the city. (laughs) And, uh, I sent him a message and I said, dude, if you checked out this band, I feel like we missed them. And the band is a uh, fractal universe. Is that how you say it? Yep. The impassable horizon. I, I checked this out. I was like, fuck, this is, it's good. It's there. T- uh, I hate this expression is tech death bands, but they're really not a technical death band per se. There's a lot of proggy elements, a lot of slower movements. Usually when you're tech death, you think it's just massive blast beats and, crazy playing and it's not it's there's a lot of melody and mm-hmm. i was very surprised when i heard this uh and i am digging this and it's sax core there's yeah. sax in there yeah so if you like your sax get on that yeah that's um, solid uh we mentioned half already i don't know what more i can say about it i like it. it's good and then uh tr the metalheads butler and i uh recently went to a show we saw the ocean and this is only the second time i've seen them uh, and they're awesome. I love them. And they did the Phantorozoic one and two. They did songs from those two albums. Um, they opened for Leprous. I used to be a huge Leprous fan, but then Leprous became uh, a different band. So I only liked their first few albums. So we stuck around mainly for the ocean and just saw a little bit of Leprous, but the ocean were awesome. So if you like that kind of post metally proggy sound, then that. Metalheads, Butler. Yeah. So that's all I got. Awesome. All right. Jay. Okay, uh, people, uh, George and I run late in the list, so it's always kind of some repeat stuff here about the half record I was listening to. I dig that. The Black uh, Fucking Cancer, I spun a couple of times. Um, mentioned a couple episodes back. Um, I still think that New Scorpions record is a lot of fun, so I've been listening to that. Um, been listening to a lot of various Richie Blackmore iterations, Deep Purple Rainbow, stuff like that, kind of going through Richie Blackmore face. Mm-hmm. Um, and I listened to a bunch of records that ended up on my opening tracks top five. <laughs> All right, so, then, uh, like, I, 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 say I, no I, more. Was like, yeah, I, you know right. that that was harder than it should have been. So, in any case, and that about covers it. That and everything else, you know. Right. All right. I don't have too many, but uh, uh, the uh, the new Archaic album, which is A R K A I K. Yes. Labyrinth of Hungry Ghosts, their sixth album. They're a California tech death band. It's not too tech death. It's just just the right amount of tech death. Um, <clears throat> also listen to the Falls of Roros album. You know, it's good. What are you going to do? I listened to the Ghost can album. I just, can I, can I just say, war? George, have we established that I'm now the only person who has not heard? <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, and every time we bring it up, I I, I can just feel the the, the hatred coming I through, know, going, "Fuck you guys! You've heard it. I haven't heard it." And also, also, I have to say that whilst you were talking about the Falls of Aurora album for about the fifth time, I went on to the web store for Isenton to pre-order the Falls of Aurora album because it reminded me I had not yet pre-ordered it yet, only to find that they're refusing to accept pre-orders at this moment because they don't yet have a 100% solid delivery date. So all I can do is enter my email address to be notified. I'm even further away. I'm even further away from hearing the Falls of Roros album than I thought I was <laughs> at the beginning. Yeah, they haven't even made the vinyl available to Warner yet that's going to be down the road. 
Well, so they haven't even done the paperwork vinyl. to get the vinyl. <laughs> There's yet. no paperwork. Is really an album? Nobody <laughs> has really a pen. Them? Well, we've listened to it, so yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not a huge ghost. I was going to send it to him, but maybe we should not send it to him. Just to <laughs> torture him. Uh, well, I it, really like Falls of Roars. Please, can I hear? <laughs> I, will could, wait in, I will wait patiently in the queue. It's fine. Otherwise, we could FaceTime and I'll display it in the background. Yeah, I could just <laughs> hold it up over our head like uh, John Cusack and say anything. Mark, this is me <laughs> listening to Falls of Roars. This is me in a chair. You are now listening to Falls yeah. of Roars. Yes. <laughs> With Matt. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm not a big ghost fan these days. I did really like the first album a lot. And I've been, I don't know if indifferent is probably a little too uh, dismissive, but I, I do check out every album and I thought it was all right. Um, you know, it is what it is. It's interesting when a band is popular enough to have this kind of level of, of popularity and also, but you know, sing about Satan and stuff. So yeah. um, I, bringing I, Satan I to the children is uh, an yeah. interesting concept. I think their, their journey is more interesting than their music. Yeah. Um, nobody mentioned this one yet. I don't think, but uh, I, uh, and this one's not coming up for months yet. So hopefully you're not a fan, Mark. Uh, the new Nachachwin album, Kanawa Black. It's their yeah. fourth album. They're a folk uh, black metal band. And uh, this really rips. I really liked this a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, next up, uh, the new Sabaton album, The War to End All Wars. I'm not a huge Sabaton fan either. I oh. mean, they're, I, I like some power metal, and they're the kind of power metal I like that's more power than than like, la. You know, he's yeah. a little more. They're more U.S. power metal, don't you think, a little bit? Kind of. A little? A little? In yeah, between. I mean, like, I'm, it's like it's more. It's like Running Wild. I love Running Wild, yeah. and yeah, but that's pirate metal, and, you know, splitting hairs. But whatever. It's not gang singing and like all this like swords in the air and all that. I shit mean, even like singing. Rhapsody. I like Rhapsody, but it's just like some stuff's a little too uh, cheesy. Cheesy, <laughs> yeah, I guess. But anyway, is uh, it good? Do you like it? I thought it was all right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like live. Yeah. I, 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 I don't listen to every album that comes out, but everything I listen to by them, I'm like, I dig it. Um, next up, I didn't expect to even list this one, let alone listen to it, but, uh, stabbing Westward's Mm, album chasing ghosts. It's their first album in 21 years. And that crazy. I, I liked their first album on God that came out in like, I don't know, 1995 or something. Uh, and, and you know, they're, they're, they're like a nine inch nail spinoff kind of, uh, industrial rock band. Uh, but I, I was listening to this and I, I really got into it. So I was like, eh, I'll list it. And, uh, lastly, uh, the new album from Vanier sagas. It's their sixth album and they're like a Viking metal band. Uh, I didn't list where they were from though, unfortunately. Uh, but you know, Vanier, of course it's Viking. Nice. All right. So uh, let's move on real quick to the results from last episode's Metal Thunderdome. Mark, you're going to have an opportunity to weigh in on this, although it will be unlikely to change the outcome. Uh, <laughs> last time, Marcuson pitted Opeth's Damnation album against uh, Catatonia's Discouraged Ones. We each had a vote, which was you know, the results of which were on the last episode. However, we put it up online for the listeners to vote and we have a winner before I announce that. Would you like to cast a vote for one of those albums? I mean, surely, surely it's Opeth. 
And it is 72% to 28% Opeth crushed catatonia. Oof. So you are on the winning side. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have voted that way if every Opeth album had been individually weighed against every catatonia album. Because there are some <laughs> catatonia albums that are far better than some Opeth albums. But that, that one, it was a clear one, surely. Fair enough. All right, let's do our top five. This time, uh, we're going to do the top five album opening songs. So songs that, you know, kick off an album and you're just like, wow, you know, that's a way to start the album. And Mark and I had a conversation about this, which Marcus on disagrees with. But uh, Mark was like, well, what if the first track on an album is an intro and the second song is what you want to use? And I'm, I agree with that. That's what I did on my list. Marcus on thinks I'm an idiot. I don't think you're an idiot. I think it's a cheat thinks, because the, you're a cheater. Cheater. And decides to put that track on an album. That's what they choose as their opener. Right. But it's not, so, if it's especially if it's not even care. a song, it doesn't matter. It's they're still their opening song. It's the first thing that you hear on the album. Well, so I mean, if you want to do it, go ahead. I'm going to be pure. I'm going to do I'm it. Do it right. I'm going to do it right. Mark wants to cheat. That's up to him. I'm, I'm going to cheat right. with Mark. To so. be fair, to be fair, when I got my final five, only one of them fell into that category. <laughs> Mine too. All right. So, as as again as the guest, Mark, you're going to go first. Can you give us your number five song? Number five uh, is a track called "Savior" by Imperium. It's from the album "The Turn of Tides." Uh, the Turn of the Tides. It's just beautiful it's cyclical recurring beautiful uh vocal that gradually gets bigger and bigger and bigger with loads of harmonies there's glorious it's just beautifully produced there's great um layering there's beautiful piano in it it's i realize that you don't want me to keep using the word beautiful but it's just beautiful. <laughs> gorgeous yeah it's gorgeous savior by imperium is oh, just nice. a stunning opening track right on Writing it down. Now, is this the cheat one or not the cheat one? That is not the cheat one. Yes, good job. Good job. <laughs> All right. Well, Marcus, on what is your totally not cheating number five? Uh, yeah, my number five is uh, Death Flattening of Emotions, Ooh. the album Human. So this is my nice. favorite Death album, and this happens to be my favorite track from the record. I think the whole song <laughs> is uh, fantastic. I absolutely love the guitar solo and the aggressiveness on this track, but it's those... Uh, that fade in tribal drumming at the beginning that it instantly gets me going every time I start that album. Uh, I Marcus on that was on my long list. Yes. Yes. Cause that's <laughs> also a very long list. Death album. Oh yeah. That's also my favorite death album. Uh, and I was just like, Oh man, how do I, how do I not put this on here? So. Yeah. I know it was tough, John. I, I cut a lot of stuff that I also wanted to get in the top five, but. You know, it could change any day, I feel like. Oh, of course. All right. Matt? Um, I will preface the start of my top five with the fact that this was a really killer top five. Like, this was a good idea. This is 
fucking hard and i actually played it super safe uh my number five is the song moonchild um some of you may have heard of this band they're called iron maiden and the album is seventh son of the seventh good choice cool album Thank you. she actually sent me that record the vinyl mm. so i spent a ton uh last year john right my list ended up being kind of boring meaning there's some usual suspects on here uh my probably honorable mentions is more interesting but uh i did try to find songs that i thought represented something that i thought was cool about them being opening tracks and my first one here is from the rush of thrash metal maybe only george knows who this well i might be referring to because i think i said it once before but my number five is the song die by my hand off the album no more color by coroner i just Ooh, love how nice. that, that opens it just comes in so ferocious and it's literally three dudes. I have something about, you know, power bands. that are only three musicians that sound like they're bigger than eight musicians on stage. And they're one of those bands that does that for me. And that just kicks off a killer album from start to finish. So yeah, we're just looking forward to seeing them. Mm-hmm. MDF, oh, right? They're at MDF. MDF. Yep. Yeah. They're actually coming here in Chicago too. And I'm debating whether I should go to that show. And I feel like they're kind of a, a forgotten band from that period because they were more technical and they were proggier at some point than some of those other mm-hmm. thrash bands, uh, but extremely talented band, I think. Yeah. All right, Jay. Nice. Uh, I approached mine in a lot of different ways. Um, some of them are just kind of kick-ass opening tracks that mean a lot to me. And some of them have a little more meaning like this particular one, which is if you were sitting around in 1979, early 1980, thinking, oh, man, it's a shame what's happened to Black Sabbath. But then you got your vinyl copy down at the store and walked home and put on Heaven and Hell and Neon Knights came out of the fucking speakers. Oh. You, you were like, you know what? Everything's going to be okay for at least the next couple <laughs> of years. Neon Knights is a fucking badass opening track. And yeah, you guys have all heard it a thousand times. Need no, no more description by me. Yeah, I considered it. print right there. Fuck yeah, I got the original too. Original print. I got the new edition that just came out oh, last year. I actually have that one too. <laughs> <laughs> this is what original print gets you for your inside. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. A little shitty cover. <laughs> you know what I love though? Can you hold up the back of it, John? Cause oh, that yeah. looks like, that looks like rainbow rainbow. Yeah. That calls mm-hmm. to mind rainbow. And look at, uh, look at the bill Ward of that. He looks like God, like a professor or something in that. <laughs> look at Jesus. Is he Jesus also looks- Dr. Metal? Yeah. There can be only one Dr. Metal. Yes, that's right. <laughs> come on, come on. Hey, Jay, how, how much younger is Geezer looking in this picture compared to the picture you sent us today? Geezer's aged, man. Geezer is the first Geezer's a geezer. Now. Yeah. yeah. Wow. All right, George. All right, so all of mine, well, I, except for my number five, I played them all pretty safe with classic stuff. Um, but I chose them based on how amped up they got me when I would put on this album and kicked off with this song. So mm-hmm. that said, my number five is cannibal corpse. The time to kill is now from kill because that song just, it's like you hit play and your head just gets ripped right off of your body. So, and if, if Will was here, he would appreciate that because he's a know, huge that, cannibal awesome. corpse fan. Yeah, I mean, that's great, kind great of um, brave because I, I would think that most people would go with hammer smash face. So you're going with something a little different. I prefer corpse grinder. Mm-hmm. So, or did you hear the stunned silence when that declaration happened there? 
Did you hear that? There was just like tumbleweed blowing across the podcast. I prefer a coast grinder. Silence. Trust I don't, me. We, I don't think you're all, wrong. We've all heard tumbleweeds on this podcast more than once each. Trust me. Yeah. Time to kill us now is a great chart, though. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, what's your number four, Mark? Uh, sometimes in the uh, Winter Fullerth group chat, we debate um, just what is the best album by a particular band. And some bands, uh, it is impossible to reach a satisfactory conclusion. We've, tr- we've tried um, with Dark Throne, but it's just not possible. Mm. Um, because they've just knocked out so many great records that are different vibes for different moods. If you want the great classic Norwegian 90 sound, then you've got the early great trilogy. If you want their death metal record, you've got Soulside Journey. Mm-hmm. If you want the, what they've become in more recent years, that are more that kind of Celtic Frost kind of influence, you've got all their great later Darth Run records. They, for me, are clearly just one of the greats, and it's impossible to pick a favourite. But sometimes when put over a barrel, I go for Panzerfaust, because I think it's just after that classic early trilogy period, but it just has such a great set of songs. And the opening song is called Enfind Av Song. It is instant, grim Norwegian black metal sound. It sounds like it was produced in the back of a cardboard box in a cupboard. But it's just fucking great. And so um, I accidentally, um, I'd got some MP3s, which I used for digital listening, and I I didn't realize that um, I had, uh, one of these bands who've made a um, different pressings of their albums where they do like a commentary where um, Fenris is doing a commentary about his thoughts and memories of recording the album over the top of the record playing. You can't even listen to the record playing because every now and then Fenris' voice just comes raking over the top. And track two on the album is called Triumphant Gleam. And the riff starts, and you just hear this Norwegian voice go, Triumphant Gleam! And just, <laughs> I, I almost now can't hear Triumphant Gleam without expecting this voice to come over yeah. the top. But yeah, the opening track, Envind Av Sorg from the uh, Panzerfaust by Dark Throne, which today is my favorite Dark Throne album, but tomorrow it could be another one. Yeah, they've got a really great catalog. And don't dismiss their new records. Like their new record, like the latest record that came out, Eternal Hails, it's just great. They uh, just no. have so many great records. Yeah, and I think they are embraced by all or most of us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, everyone that comes out, I buy it, and I'm and I'm never like this sucks. I mean, they always, they always do something cool, you know. I mean, yeah, great. I like uh, Nocturno's other band, uh, Sark. Yeah, a better, better. I like them more than I expected to. I, I, to be honest, I was listening to some of them this, just this week, actually. The earlier Sark records more than the more recent ones, but yeah, they're yeah. interest. I would call them an interesting band rather than a great band. But yeah, yeah that's I, fun. They're enjoy. They're enjoyable. Yeah. All right, uh, Mark Uh Yeah, my number four is another hard to pronounce fucking name. Uh, Goisha by uh, Triptychon from the album Eparostera. Diamond Ace. And it, this is the song that kicked off uh, the band's debut. And it just felt like a statement to me. It instantly proved that the, this old uh, metal vet still had a lot more life 
left in him. So I love all Tom G. Warrior's projects, but I think he tinkered with his sound a lot through the years until he perfected it with Triptychon. That's my favorite incarnation of uh, his musicianship. So um, for me, this band is the apex of the uh, of the warrior craft, and Goetia is the the demonic fueled introduction to that. Just, fucking ripping song i was really hoping we were getting a new triptychon album this year but i haven't heard anything it's yeah. over fucking do it's all fuck every once in a while he'll post something and sort of say like imply something's happening but he's also as you know playing a few festivals and things so yeah not that that should stop him but right kitty there he goes <laughs> tom takes his fucking time that's for sure dude yeah all right matt so consciously, <clears throat> this is not my favorite death album, but subconsciously it might be for the amount that I talk about it. Um, I'm going with the song Living Monstrosity off of Spiritual Healing. Oh, it's angry, it's raw, and I like it. The double death daily. Yeah, nice. Gian. All right. Uh, my number four. This song is only three minutes and 43 seconds long. It's absolutely a ripper. It's got an unbelievable intro riff and it's got like this huge ending. And again, it's under four minutes long and it sets the tone for an album that um, while I may not be a fan of the band that much anymore, I still think this album is one of the best from the 2000, you know, from 2000 to 2009. And that is blood and thunder off of Macedon's Leviathan. It's just an absolute ripping song. And it just for that, less than four minutes just sets the tone for the whole album and it does have this massive ending and you're like when do they have time to do all this this song is not that long so and it's got a killer clown in the video which is cool (laughs) nice you know it's funny john because i i often think about that record in general that's that record is 45 minutes long that's it and one song is 12 minutes long and that's the thing because it feels like so much happens in general in that record yeah, it's so well, funny how much we, we talk about old Mastodon. You know, we really love old Mastodon. <laughs> we just love don't it. like new Mastodon because you don't want to talk about new Mastodon podcast. But the old Mastodon comes up a lot. Like we are so it? hurt by Ma- and Gojira, the old Gojira, old Mastodon. I like the new Mastodon. You're very hurt. For those early yeah. albums, like those first three albums are just mm-hmm. fucking yeah. killer. Would you say much of the Firons? Oh. After the fire, yeah. by, off, off remission. Yes. The, dr- the drumming in the last minute of that is just mm-hmm. outrageous. And they, okay. they created these massive sounds. So it, yeah. And when you watch them on stage, it's not like they're doing a whole ton, but it just sounds huge. Yeah. You know, can I, t- I can like. I tell you a, my very brief Mastodon story? Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. saw them on the tour for, I think it was probably around the tour of Le- Leviathan. So they were still playing quite a lot of stuff uh, on remission. And... Uh, I don't know if this joke's going to fall flat on its ass because you're not going to know the accent. But essentially, so where I'm from is a place called Newcastle upon Tyne, and uh, people from Newcastle are called Geordies. Mm-hmm. And I, whilst I, I kind of re- rein my accent in when I'm talking to people who aren't from Newcastle, we're known for having a very strong accent. People from uh, people from Newcastle, like Brian Johnson. It's like, yeah, man, Aries, how are you doing? Uh, anyway, <laughs> so. Um, when Mastodon were playing Newcastle, in between songs, when there was silence, someone from the back shouted, Yeah, man, I like your beard. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I like your beard. <laughs> Everyone, 
everyone laughed except Mastodon. <laughs> <laughs> no idea, like, no idea what was going on. Yeah. My beer? What? That's awesome. That's pretty good. Was it you that shouted that? It was not, but I wish I had. <laughs> <laughs> so my- we should have a top. We should have a top five heckle. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I've I've seen some great heckles. So I've got one that I'm going to share since we're doing this, and that was the first time I, the first time Opeth played a headline thing in the states, a headline tour in the states. They played here in San Francisco, and I went saw them, and and the buzz was huge. I mean, people already kind of did love them, but there was still a lot of people didn't really know what Opeth was, and um, they did, um, and it was a song of. deliverance and it's the one where it kind of gets it gets really quiet yeah okay that doesn't help but then and then he says uh something something and then the music stops and he says the word here you know what i'm talking about john Mm -hmm. here and i can't remember what it was well anyway they played this beautiful rendition of the song they get up to that perfect point fair judgment fair judgment it fades out and the room is dead silence and some guy in the back of the audience yells here and the fucking band <laughs> laughed and the crowd <laughs> laughed and then they just launched into the rest of the song and it was fucking magic dude and it that's was their, just like hey jay that's their black sabbath moment at the end of that song it's very <laughs> it's a it's a doomy sound it was so that, good that's really funny well what other stories do you have mark of heckles uh, that's a broad the, question the, the, other one, <laughs> the other one that the other one stands out was i saw a gig um I can't remember who the <clears throat> the main band was. It might have been Unleashed, maybe, but whoever the support band were Cataclysm, that Canadian band. Mm-hmm. With the K, who yeah. I, who I, I'm not a fan of, I'll be entirely honest. I like the, the early the, stuff, but then they just kind of... Mm. The singer really fancies himself as being a real sort of hard man of metal. Mm. And he was doing the whole posturing... Yeah, it's really fucking great to be here, man. It's really, I, we, we've never fucking played your town. And when he said that, someone said, "Yes, you did. You played Damnation, which is the name of a festival in the same town. Yeah, you played Damnation." And he, he was stunned because he was trying to pr- say that it was the first time they'd been in the in the town. So he then found himself having to have this conversation with a heckler. <laughs> oh, no. It's like, man, that was here. No, it was another venue down the road. <laughs> <laughs> Everything you say is wrong. Yeah. Oh, man, it's awesome. just not coming his, back his, from that. His hard man posturing just went down. Yeah. Oh, I, I know I know who they were supporting. They were supporting uh, Christian, the Brazilian band. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I like them. Yeah, oh, I, I would. Christian. I would like to have gotten deeper into like, you know, directions too. Like it's by the kebab place. <laughs> you get a good curry Sorry, there. I've, I've derailed your top five. I do apologize. Perfect. It's all right. We, 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 we expect this. We take tangents all the time. That's why we're like five hours long. Usually. That's um, why you're here. But, yeah. uh, but it's, I'm glad that you did derail it because I had wanted to ask you. And, and my next selection is, is key to this or is related to this. And I wanted to ask you, what the fuck's in the water in Newcastle, dude? Like so many good metal bands have come out of Newcastle. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, it's a very working class area historically. And I think that's probably played a part of it. And um, yeah, obviously I guess Venom are probably the, the uh, big export in terms of extreme stuff. And so let's get to my number four then, since you mentioned the band Venom from Newcastle on time. 
All right, well, um, I really believe this is a killer uh, album opener, but I also think it's a genre opener, and that would be Sons of Satan from Welcome to Hell. Um, you know, I just, it was sort of like before that, there was kind of like, I, there were some other things happening, but there was like Motorhead, and everybody was like, Motorhead was the dirtiest thing out there, kind of. Yeah, I, you know, there are probably some other things that were creeping up. And then you put the fucking vinyl, the needle down on Welcome to Hell, and out <laughs> I'm Sons of Satan, which is like such a great opener, which they're playing twice as fast at the end of the song as they are at the beginning of the song. Pick up your needle and set it down and you'll see I'm telling the truth. Um, but definitely my uh, a, a very favorite opener, a band whose career I love up through, well, the live album, until they basically split apart. But an opening to a career, an opening to a genre, and a kick-ass opening to a record. Right on. My number four off the album, Hail to England, Man of Wars, Blood of My Enemies. You know, that, I don't listen to a lot of Man of War anymore. Uh, for, Why? Because of their last guitar player. But, oh, okay. Um, but I, I've, for the most of my existence, I have been a huge Man of War fan. Yeah. Um, and we, we even had... Uh, Ross the boss, Ross the boss on, on for an interview once. And, uh, ah, great. And, uh, you know, anything from his period, uh, I, I do like some of the later stuff too. Um, but it, just that whole ordeal just kind of made me not want to mm. listen to him right now. Uh, yeah. but those first, I don't know, five, six albums are just amazing to me. I mean, they're, they yeah. were like metal to me in the eighties and nineties. And Blood of My Enemies, that is just a fist-pounding, head-banging, you know, fun time. So Yeah, can't argue with that. Can't argue with that. I also love the title track of that record. Oh, there's Actually, there aren't any bad songs on that record. <laughs> no, no, it's one of my favorite albums by them. That and uh, Son of the Hammer, actually. And I, I, initially, I, my, like my knee-jerk reaction when I came up I didn't come up, I think actually Marcus on came up with it, but when I decided on it for this episode, I was like, oh, I'm going with fight in the world. I mean, cause that's just a banger, you know, but this was a better, no, this was a better, but I was like, this is just, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Anyway, number three, yes. Mark, <laughs> uh, I've gone with the opening track of, uh, the album that had anyone asked me what my favorite album was of all time for about, 20 years i would have said this one um it's allison chains from dirt nice the track the, tra the track is them bones oh i was gonna put that on my list fuck oh, yes we love allison mm. chains <laughs> I, I was one of the first bands i got into as a teenager really absolutely obsessed by them uh, for most of my life um I think that, you know, I didn't see them with Lane Staley. It's probably one of my biggest regrets. I did. Same. Same. Had, I, had I had the... I think when people talk about unique voices, I think there are few more unique than Lane Staley. Just instantly identifiable. Um, as soon as he opens his mouth, or as soon as he opened his mouth, um, just a tragic, tragic story. And, you know, what would they have been had he always been there? You know, and... When they returned uh, with the new singer, I didn't want to like them, um, but I gave them a chance. I went to see them on the first tour with the new singer, and 
it was impossible to to, to deny what a great job he was doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. like great life, like impossible to be any better. Do you know what I mean? In the circumstances of trying to replace such a unique voice, he couldn't be any better. I don't think it's all that great musically. It's all right. Like it's 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 decent. It's enjoyable, but. Those first Alison Chains records, but uh-huh. you know, there isn't—they never committed a weak note to tape with Lynn Staley for me. And yeah. yeah, it could have been any of them. It could have been Grind from the Self Titled. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it could have been nice. uh, the opener from Facelift. But yeah, it's so I, metal I get, too. You know, they get yeah. lumped into that grunge category. But they're not. They're they're, they're an all mm-hmm. metal band. I agree, Mark. That, that yeah. them bones is just a smash. Yeah. Mark, you great choice. Go ahead. Mark, I would even say, I, I'm, I'm John. I'd even say they're not even an alt metal band. They're just a '90s metal band. You yeah. Know what I mean? Like, uh, well, I, I call the alt because they, the sound at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, Matt, I don't want to cut you off. I just want to say real no, quick. No, no, no. If anyone agrees, not only is that a great opener, maybe possibly the best second song on an album ever with "Damn That River" Damn to that follow river. it. It's just yeah. boom, boom, right in the face. Yeah. I absolutely. mean, all the tracks and a best third song, right? song and a best fourth song. Yeah. yeah. Uh, best song about Vietnam and Rooster. Yeah. yeah. Which actually is probably true. Uh, and can I say it's a great poll for another reason, and that is it's the 30th anniversary of that album. Yeah. This year. Yeah, it is, man. And, yeah. uh, I wish they would put out another vinyl. Maybe they still will. Yeah. yeah. I want an anniversary vinyl. On 180 gram. So. My my go-to Alice and Chains story is that I saw them on the Dirt Tour with, on Lollapalooza, and it was an outdoor show, and it, the show th- their set was interrupted by a thunderstorm that came through. So they had to stop and and like wait like twenty minutes and come back and they came back and played Rain When I Die. Yeah. The first time I saw them, they opened with that song. Yeah. And I was just like, that's balls. Uh, that's one of my favorite Allison Chain songs. <laughs> yeah. That is a great one. The uh yeah. the the live uh DVD or video or VHS that it was of uh is it live at the Fillmore? Um, which was really early in their career where they pl- they're just playing the songs pretty much from the first album. And it's like a black and white short video. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've seen that. And, mm-hmm. and uh, the performance of Love, so Hate, Love on that, on that is... Yeah. Mm-hmm. When, when he hits the high notes at the end, oh, shivers, yeah. man. Mm-hmm. He yeah. was such a talent. And also, I'll tell you this. So I, when I used to be a music lecturer... Um, one of my responsibilities was like the tutor of the kids was to sort of try and keep them on the straight and narrow. And uh, I used to show them the video of uh, Alison Chains playing MTV Unplugged mm-hmm. to say, if you ever need a demonstration for why you shouldn't take drugs, here is it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True, true. Because mm. he couldn't remember his own lyrics. No, he looked he, rough. T- he, t- he took his shades off a couple of songs. His eyes were bloodshot. Yeah. And yet he was he was barely opening his mouth, and that sound was still coming out. And he looked like yeah, just emaciated, awful. And, yeah, well, awful. And it's he was like ninety great. pounds when he died. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know what? So, go ahead, back, go ahead, John. Go. No, go, ahead, John. No, I was going to say, uh, Mark. You know what that video for MTV showed you is just how good Jerry Cantrell really is. Mm-hmm. Well, he was uh, just he was the he was he also sang, but he's the main driving force of that band. Yeah. It just proved how good he was during all that that they were dealing with. He yeah, yeah. All just all great players, just all great mm-hmm. players, yeah. great musicians. Sorry, so, Matt, yeah, that, that's my that's my number yeah. three. Mark, right. how do you? I just want to ask, how did you feel about Mad Season? Oh, really great. Yes, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it. it's really great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In a different way, you can just sort of yes. lose yourself, lose yourself yeah. in the uh, the sort of space of it. 
Um, yeah, I mean, Lynn Steady could do no wrong for me for sure. I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a diehard live album guy, but I didn't, rea- and I didn't realize until recently there was a live Mad Season album on vinyl. Really, and like just to listen to him talk in between songs, I was like, oh god, don't ever destroy this recording. Like, let's. Oh, I've, I've never, heard, I've never heard that. Yeah, I've, I've got it. it on vinyl. Yeah. It's out there. Yeah, definitely check it out. His just, I mean. And the reality is like, it's nothing like mind blowing, but it's like, oh God, Lane Staley's talking in between songs. Yeah. Like this is fucking amazing. And he's in a better space yeah. in that than he is on the uh, unplugged. Oh, yes. oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. And what, what's weird to me is uh, in the same way people talk about where they were when they found out when like John Lennon died or something. Mm-hmm. I remember where I was when I found out Lane Staley died. Me too. Because he was my, he was like my favorite musician. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I still, I still, I still remember where I, I was in the outside lane of a motorway doing 70 miles an hour when my friend called me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm. yeah, really like tearing up. I was in my bedroom and a friend to be. called me <laughs> and told me. Find out? <laughs> That's called Live at the Moor, by the way, the Mad Season album. Yeah. Okay, cool. I, you know, it's Matt, good. super yeah. nice pull on Mad Season because hardly anyone ever talks about them. I absolutely love that album. I do too. Love I, got, I have yeah. all of that stuff in mind. So yeah. Good. Yeah. That again, is my favorite from that it's from not, the 90s. It, it's, 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 I would say it's even less metal than what people would describe Alice in Chains, but it's super yeah. powerful. It's super like, it just sucks you. Like if you let it, it will suck you in. Oh, yeah. And I mean, just, yeah, it's awesome. Nice. Wow. All right. All right. Wow. Marcus, wow. Uh, number three. Shake it up. Shake it's it up. That's too, the, cause I'm actually going with, uh, that's the point of this. Another, is. Yeah, yeah, no, it's awesome. And and I wouldn't have, I guess I just didn't expect that. We talked about when you look at somebody or you, you, you kind of know somebody, you, you expect a certain thing. I wouldn't have expected uh, Mark to pull Alice and James out. I don't, obviously don't know. Oh, really? Loved it. Oh. Yeah, they were my favorite band for 20 years. Yeah, I wouldn't oh, have expected that. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, I'm going with another kind of like an alt metal band from around that time too. Um, and it's uh, The Grudge from Tool. Oh yeah, lateralist. That is an album opener. Yeah, right. It's. I mean, that was my. We've done our top fifty metal albums of the last fifty years. When it was at fifty, and this was my 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 number number (laughs) one. That was rough. Need to lie down for that one. (laughs) This is one of the best progressive metal songs I've ever heard, And, and this is on an album where there's a lot of great songs on it, and this album ruled the early 2000s for me. It's it's heavy. It's a dynamic eight and a half minute track that 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 perfectly Voltrons together the best elements of Tool at the height of their alt metal powers. Rid of verb Voltron. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Chunky riff towers um, that just get lodged in your head. Um, Ritualistic drumming. Um, I love the gorgeous ebbs and rhythmic flows of this song, and Maynard showcases just an intense range of possessed vocals. You've got croons, barks, rasps, darkened screams. It's and just that a, long note. And that long note at the end mm-hmm. of the grudge. Right. That, that long, long note where he's just screaming. Oh my God. It's, it feels like he's going on for a minute. It's breathtaking. And it's an amazing opening track. Um, I think it's their best opening track of any other albums. And this is definitely their best album, in, in my opinion. But uh, Which is saying a lot, because Stinkfest opens a record. But that is, I yeah. agree with you, though. And I saw them on that tour maybe three times. And mm-hmm. the first time I saw them was in Kansas City. And this was, you have to remember, Tool was kind of not 
they were down and out for a little while because they had some legal trouble and blah, blah, blah. And I saw them very early in that tour and I was saw them in an arena in Kansas City. And I, w- and I was on the floor sort of foolishly and the lights went down and the grudge started and I was pushed in a wave of people <laughs> into a crush that it took me the rest of that song to get the fuck out of. Wow. <laughs> but it was great, dude. It was, it was fucking awesome. Cause tool is back. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, fucking tool is back. Yeah. The only time I, I saw, I saw them on that tour too. The only yeah. time I saw them was, was on undertow same day as the Alice in Chains show. Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> and that is a mic drop. Yeah. Matt, you're following that. And good night. <laughs> <laughs> Follow that, Matt. Was that so Pearl Jam was on that too, right? No. No, that was the Soundgarden one. That was Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, and like Chili Peppers or something. Hello, the but Rage, okay. Rage Against the Machine was on that one? No. You talking about mine? Yeah. The Lollapalooza? Yeah, I think one. Rage, yeah, Fishbone. Um, Front 242. Front 242, yeah. Dinosaur Jr. And going, Dinosaur going Jr. To, to Mad Season, Mike McCready's guitar playing on, on Mad Season is my favorite. Yes. He's done. Uh, and I like Pearl Jam, so. Uh, so anyways. <laughs> I, I have two tattoos, and they're both artwork drawn by Lane Staley. I love how we're just um, developing right. a dead let's, let's just turn this into the Allison Chains podcast. And welcome to the Allison totally Chains podcast. With. Um, <clears throat> all right, my number three. Metallica, Fight Fire with Fire, off Ooh. of Red Lightning. It's a, it's a gimme, but son of a bitch. No. I love this song. I can't believe you'd go with Metallica. Yeah, I know. And I, I, so that album to me, I learned in like uh, retrospect. I didn't, I wasn't yeah. aware of it in real time. And so Ju- Justice was my first Metallic album. So the first three I had to go and learn in retrospect. And um, I mean, Master of Puppets is always a gimme, but there was just something about Ride the Lightning that always struck a chord with me. And I mean, Fight Fire with Fire really melted my face. This oh, is like, sure. this is plastic surgery to get it back to this, but it literally was. Uh, uh, as long as it's not like give pizza, me fuel, give me fire, don't, give don't, me that. Don't, don't, pizza. Don't, don't, yeah. don't, don't, don't. <laughs> so just a, a historical callback then, since because of one of George's previous ones, I was on vacation. Well, not on vacation. I was with my parents who were going to some weird trade show or something in Atlanta when that record came out. And I bought that and Into Glory Ride on the same day, George. <laughs> nice. In a record store in Atlanta. Yeah. And listened to him all the way home. All right, John. All right. So first, I want to uh, answer uh, Mark's question. I have an awesome in-between song banter. It was also an Opeth <laughs> show. It was in Washington, D.C., and I was with my my good friend, Lisa. We were at the show. And I can't remember what tour it was on because I've seen Opeth more than a few times. <laughs> um, a lot. Understatement. Yeah, very much an understatement. And uh, it was at the 930 Club. So George knows this place. <laughs> Great venue that no longer plays any cool shows there anymore. It's all kind of hipster, douchey music. <laughs> um, but it got real quiet in this venue. It holds about a thousand to thirteen hundred depending on how they configure it and in between songs it got just dead silent and some dude yells out literally audible to everyone in the venue yeah satan like that really loud i nearly pissed myself i ended up getting that bootleg and i played that over so many times just to hear that guy yelling to this day my friend lisa will say hey remember that dude at the open show that yelled yeah satan between songs just perfect awesome I mean, dead silent in the venue, that which doesn't happen often. Right. But all right. That's perfect. So my next three picks, they're boring because the bands we know really well, but it's hard not to go with these. And my next two of the three picks are because of the live versions 
that I pick these songs, even though they open the albums that they're on. Mm-hmm. And it's no secret. I go on and on about this guitarist all the fucking time. I'm a huge Randy Rhodes fan. And I just had a hard time not including, I don't know, off of Blizzard of Oz. And it's because of the live version more than anything else. If you listen to the tribute album, it's O Fortuna opens it up and as to play music in the background. And it's this classical buildup and Ozzy, Oh, we love you. Fuck yeah. He come out and all that stuff. And he just yells, yeah, rock and roll. And then Randy Rhodes just rolls right into the beginning of, I don't know. And it's just, there's something about that song that I've always loved. It's just powerful. Even though it sounds like shit on the original album, cause it's a horrible recording, but, um, so I got in the Carl Orff, man. Carmina Burana, the the Aussie with the yeah. uh, Overtuna. Yeah. So, so and, was it so was it the live one that really got you with that song, John? Like what, did you like it on the original album? Oh, I love of course I love the original album. Okay. It's just it's the production's not great. No, it's the live version put it in that godly status for me. Right, okay. Yeah, it's just awesome. and it, that live version sounds terrible. I mean, they all sound like shit on that, you know? <laughs> it's a horrible recording. It's a it's was never a properly done album because, mm-hmm. you know, Sharon Osbourne's involved at some point. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the idea that he created th- that this little tiny five foot seven guy who apparently only weighed like 100 pounds. His guitar probably weighed more than him. Just created such an amazing sound. Um, and it's just always stood out for me. When I first heard that as a kid, I was just like, what the fuck? I was only yeah. 12 when that came out. You know, only 12 back then, yeah. I imagine. I love so, the idea that the, the, the live version of it is what really uh, put it over the top for you. That's pretty cool, John. Yeah. You know, cause most live versions of songs are, eh, or they're amazing. Right. You know, there's no in-betweens. Uh, my number one is the live version. We'll get yeah. Hold my beer, Marcus on. Oh yeah. Also, oh, I got another one coming up. Don't worry. <laughs> that, well, that's a good, that's a good book into the heaven and hell too, because people were sitting there also wondering what was going on with that other fucking guy. And then when you put the needle on the wax, the first thing you heard was, I don't know. And you're like, Oh, okay. So everything. Well, that's what's, Jay. That's what's crazy is that two new bands, all connected, yeah. two awesome albums, yeah. two incredible openers. You know, yeah. so. And they both went on to make an awesome second record too. So yes, mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Um, I uh, this one's for you and me, John. And it was uh, the reason this one's on my list is because when I heard it, I was this was like I was in a deep Opeth phase, and I was really trying to find other bands that could kind of join in with that and and um and the aggressive black thing you know whatever you want to say about opeth or what you should really call them but anyway and then i found a band who was doing progressive black right and it opened up uh with a song called and fire swept clean the earth such a fucking good opening track dude enslaved you know uh Just really, I must have fucking listened to those first three songs on the record 10 times. I mean, you know, in a row when I first got it. The whole record's great, but just such an opening. That riff is so good and so descending. Just so it falls off a cliff. Exciting stuff. So low the lights. And fire swept clean the earth. I had a couple. I I don't have enslaved in my top five, but I, it was tough because I, there's a, there's a few songs that I think could, uh, qualify. So awesome. Um, you know, if I was going to choose another enslaved, I might've chosen the one that opens not E, but the album before that. Uh, Axiomo 
Axioma? No, that's like a in, genie, no, right? In, one. No, in times. Um, that whatever that song oh, is, that, right, track, right. that was just a, anyway, enslaved. You can't go wrong. So many good modern records, but that was the beginning of the real upswing on the enslaved catalog. Mm-hmm. Georgie. So my number three uh is the opening song on an album that launched like a million bands. This was I, I this was one of those albums that I remember vividly first hearing in the car with my mom driving from the mall with my Walkman on, put it on, clicked play and changed my life. And I was kidding when I was making fun of Matt because this is Metallica and Battery from Master of Puppets. Nice. That song just, it changed my world in 1986, you know. Um, And it's, but yet it's only number three, but. Right. What was that, Mark? I, can I share a quick battery story? Of course. So, of course. Um, I, I, I was not old. Well, I wasn't, you know, I was pretty young when that came out. So it was before my sort of metal time. So my first Metallica album that came out when I was conscious of rock music was the Black Album. So then I had to do, do the sort of the homework as you do. And so the second Metallica album I heard was Master Puppet. And my uh, my mate had like this copy of a copy of a copy mm-hmm. cassette, as one did back then. <laughs> I, yeah, nice. and, and all all I'd heard was the Black Album. So you can imagine my reaction yeah. when he when he said, "Oh, they've also made this," <laughs> and, 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 and pre- press play on a cassette of of Master of Puppets, yeah. which of course the first thing I heard was Battery, mm-hmm. and I remember clear as day sitting in his lounge in his house before his parents got in from work as on this grubby little cassette recorder battery came out of the speakers and i remember the first words out of my mouth being is that playing at the right speed <laughs> <laughs> well wait until you get to damage incorporated oh shit yeah. oh yeah. yeah exactly because because i had no reference point right yeah. i just got into rock music I, mm-hmm. I, and i was used to like sad but true or whatever yeah well and then and then battery started like what what the fuck is this? Yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. my, speaking of the cassette dub of a dub of a dub thing, my first Metallica was Ride the Lightning. Uh, it was it was one of those 120-minute tapes that had, it had Ride the Lightning on one side and Merciful Fates Don't Break the Oath on the other side. Yeah. And oh, man. So, which, you know, I mean, I love Ride the Lightning. You, you know, uh, it's definitely my second favorite Metallica album. But Master of Puppets just changed everything. And, uh, yeah. For a lot of people. It, um, and I was the same way, George. I remember I'd heard things that heavy by then, for sure. Maybe not that heavy. They were the first ones to use those Mesa Boogie amps, too, that Mark IV amps, mm-hmm. that just because there was a new level of crunch to those. But I do remember just thinking, fuck, this is all I'm doing for the next six months. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? Literally, Master of Puppets was the only thing I listened to that entire summer. <laughs> yeah. I was just that over and over and over and over. And flipping flipping the tape, the flipping the tape. Yep. Yeah. All right. yeah, those are good times. Yeah, nice. I knew that would be on your list, George. It's it was on my honorable mention, by the way. So yeah, yeah, I've got a couple. All right, Mark number two. So uh, Mark, it sounds going to be upset now. Here's my cheat track. Yeah, uh, why? Because it technically comes after an intro track, which is only short and isn't there are no vocals and it's just a well, it's an intro. The first mm-hmm. song, the first song proper. Uh, by a band called Necrophobic, mm-hmm. uh, Swedish band. Mm-hmm. Uh, the album is called uh, the Third, uh, the Third Antichrist, and the first track is called the Third of Arrivals. 
And um, I've always loved this track. It's my favorite Necrophobic tune. Um, uh, but as well as thinking it's an absolutely ripping, heads-down black metal tune with, with a great production, it just rages. Um, it also gets an honorable mention for the, uh, the first lyric of the album, um, which is... Six, 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 we vomit on the crucifix. <laughs> Which, as, as, a, as a method of setting your stall out, is fairly up there. Six, 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 we vomit on the crucifix. Like, yes, brilliant. See, you can do harsh vocals. No, come. You know, I was going to read the first line from uh, Welcome to Hell, too, because it reads like a manifesto. But I would instead, I'll give you the first words from uh, the Them album, which is Grandma, Welcome Home. Well, the song that also has the immortal metal line in it, we're going to repaint the front door soon. Nice. So I would encourage everyone to uh, give four minutes of your time to uh, the third of Arrivals by Necrophobic. And when it gets to the first line, give yourself a smile. Will do. <laughs> I'll give it a spin, even though it's a cheat. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Marcus. Well, what do you got then? Uh, my number two is, I think John will appreciate this one, Veil of Maya by Cynic on oh. the album Focus. Uh, I had never heard anything like Cynic when I put this album on in 1993, I think it came out. Uh, I remember being stunned by it. I was blown away by the musicality, uh, the cosmic mystery of it, uh, the, the progressive death fucking starship that this album was. The weird um, vocal effect. The jazzy yeah. breakdown, the Transformer-esque vocals, uh, the fucking brilliant drumming on it. And even after all these years, it's still one of the most unique album openers I've ever heard, metal or otherwise. So it had a, a huge effect on me. And um, when I listened to Cynic, then I wanted to seek out other bands that, that you know, tried different things in metal. So Fail of Maya by Cynic. Cool interesting thing about that album is that that was delayed i think like a year and a half from release mm-hmm. it should i think came out in 91 but the hurricane that hit florida had set it back you know for them finishing all the work on the album so they would have been out and 91 was what death and atheist had massive albums and not to mention a gazillion other bands but at that time in florida that were big that came out so that that's that's a great pick thanks john Matt A. All right, my number two. So for this band, um, a while back, I had realized, like, I don't have a camp, right? Everybody was they have a band camp. Album. They had, I have a band <laughs> camp, but I didn't have a blank camp. Sax like, camp. Hey, this is, oh, God. I'll be there this summer. People are like, hey, this is, my, this is my album by them, or this is my album by them. And I was like, man, I don't have a camp. So I did my research, right? And I started listening. I started from day one and work my way forward. I really like the older stuff. And I, I dug the middle stuff. Um, and then I got to this album that I knew of, and it was probably the first album I knew of by this band. Um, and that album is called painkiller. And it, it kicked be. off with a song called painkiller and it rips. And well, I think it's unlike any of the prior, I mean, not unlike, but I mean, I think it just is different than a lot of the older stuff. It's very um, different. Yeah. yeah. It's different. 
I really gravitated to it like hard. Um, still loving the older things, still really liking the middle stuff, but Painkiller was my jam, as was the song Painkiller. You know, last night, um, I, before I uh, was wandering off to bed, I was watching mm-hmm. some thing or whatever, and then I like exited Netflix or something, and it was on VH1, and I shit you not, the Painkiller video came on. <sighs> Would you, have you ever watched it? No, not recently. Okay, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to say anything. Just watch it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no spoilers. Right. Oh, yeah. I've seen that, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Rob's a maniac in it, but it's it's a, it's it's a very 80s video. Nice. Yeah, Even though it came out in 1990. Oh, true enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but the 80s were still... The 80s had not left. You're right, George. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. They were still there. Yeah. All right, John. All right. So uh, my number two is an obvious choice band. It's hard not to say take this band for a song because they probably got about 10 great openers. But again, to reiterate something Marcus on asked earlier, the live version is the version that sold me on making this a great song. And I've been fortunate enough to see this song twice live as an opener. And both times, it wasn't the opening song because the opening song was a speech beforehand about going to war. And then the song starts and you wait for the band to come because you know it's building up. And then once the band comes on, the whole venue fucking explodes every time. And that song is Aces High by Iron Maiden. There is no opening song like that live that I've ever seen where you you hear the speech, you know, Winston Churchill talking. We shall defend our island. You know what's coming. And then you yeah. know they're not going to play the opening part of the song, that they're going to actually play that over the PA. You know that's going to happen. And yeah, you're waiting right, right, right. for Nico to come in with the drum part to start the song. And then they all come running out. And then Bruce comes flying and jumps like 50 feet in the air and everything. You're like, how's that dude still doing that at 55? What the <laughs> fuck? I hurt my back sitting down at this show. You know, so, um, and to think that that song to this day, is still one of their their better openers and they've got a slew of them it is one of their better openers though yeah. you're right john i call it top two for sure like, and, where he goes there would be close yes but there's just something about the build-up that they did on on live after death you know especially if yeah. you watch the video the spandex video you know so i still watch it every once in a while stream oh, for yeah. me long beach yeah but they played like what five or four or five nights at long beach alone on that tour yeah just yeah so it's a cliche pick, but no, it's not. I mean, you, you see it live. Maiden did. I mean, when we saw them, when George and I saw them, they had the big airplane come out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and everything. Mm-hmm. And that was cool. And then they shit the bed the next song during where Eagles there. <laughs> you know, the band kept playing, but Bruce apparently had to go to the bathroom. Had better things yeah. to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you could see them laughing on stage. You're like, I don't think it's funny. I waited 35 years to see this live. You know, so. used to have a guitar or a singer. He got there <laughs> eventually. Yeah. That, that is that's a that wound that wound runs deep for you, John. Clearly, it's so fucking long to you know, see. No, buddy, I feel you. <laughs> but the well, version you got is unique. I'm glad somebody mentioned where Eagles Dare because <laughs> where Eagles Dare ties into my first song. So, huh. um, okay, uh, mine. I'm gonna give you the first line and. If you're not as obsessed with the, this band as I am, it won't jump to your head like it would if you said it to me. But the line is, I was born in the cemetery. I was born. I know this. You're on it, George. You're there. You have I the right meter. I was born in this. Under the sign of the moon. 
raised from my grave. Ugh. Evil, Merciful Fate. First song on the list. Yes, Lizard. yes. Um, truly my favorite metal record of all time, just mm. period. There's other things have kind of touched it every once in a while, but Melissa still to this day is my favorite. And I still remember when I first heard that record and I bought it because it said black metal from Denmark. They called it black metal at the time. Right. And that was like in metal forces magazine or something. So I ordered it and I, and I, this is the dumbest reaction ever, but my first reaction was this guy sings higher than Rob Halford. <laughs> but, and then it just goes on to be its own, fucking messy thing and that that record by the way really is kind of a tribute to 70s priests if you ask me i mean the vocals are obviously a little different but yeah it was it was rough the first time i heard king diamond sing i was like oh this is not for me Mm -hmm. but then much like my first sip of beer where i was like ew now it is an acquired taste that i cannot live without yeah i didn't love it the first time either it took me i think i put it down for a week and then was like i should try that again and i was like okay i get it Yeah. yeah But I, it was a little off for me. But that brings us to you, George. My number two is a song that inspires thrashing madness, even when the band isn't playing it. This is the opening song from Rain and Blood, Angel of yeah. Death by Slayer. Mm-hmm. I knew someone would pick that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that song is just banging. And I, I, I tell the story over and over again. When I saw Testament on the Practice What You Preach tour, uh, while they were setting up for Testament, they played that song, but you know, between sets while they were setting up. And the fucking place just, you'd think the band was playing. There was, everybody was just losing their shit so much moshing to the Angel of Death. And yeah. it's, just, it's sort of like war pigs at this point you know you put on war pigs before any metal show and everyone's gonna be like yeah mm-hmm. you know yeah. sing along yeah yeah so i'd like to suggest if you guys don't mind everybody must have had some honorable mentions if, if you could rattle those off before you give us your last one does that be all right if everybody, you want to do it before the number one well yeah like well like mark will do his and then do his number one and then on down the line like i mean read them fast just get through them unless you've got four because i've got like 12 <laughs> i've got Four. <laughs> well, do it however you like. Actually, it doesn't matter. But in any case, yeah, we can. Us. We don't have to go back around yeah. again for that. So, if you have any, Mark, you're... I can honestly tell you, like, I didn't, I didn't go into honorable mentions because I think, I think I we didn't tell you to. Yeah, all day. All day. But yeah. I think yeah. had I done so, then probably the first one on the on my list would have been battery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's so difficult, so difficult to argue with. But um, yeah, there could there could be so many, but I'll go with battery. All right. And then, and then your, your actual number one. Oh, my actual number one. Okay. Um, so I, I think looking at it now, I've had a pretty varied top five. I had everything from uh, Dark Throne and Necrophobic to uh, Alton Chains and Imperium. Uh, but my number one um, contains one of my all-time favorite riffs um, and gets to my number one on the strength of that alone, I think, um, which is... Um, from the album uh, Sonic Excess in its purest form, Crowbar's The Lasting Goes. Wow. Crowbar. Wow. Yeah. yeah. You dug in there for that one. Right on, dude. Yeah. It is an absolutely colossal riff. If you are familiar with the track, you will almost certainly know what the riff is. It happens a few times during the song at the end of the chorus. It's just 
fat. And I use that, and that is not a term that I use. Fat with a pH. Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, I've seen Crowbar Live just once. I think I was lucky enough to briefly Mm -hmm. sort of get a chance to meet Kirk in the crowd. And I was like, what a great down-to-earth. Every time you see him speak on any kind of social media or videos, he just really is proper salt of the earth character or oh, that's how he always comes across yeah just loves loves what he does loves his craft i play guitar i drink beer knock out these tunes and he's a, just one of the great riff writers for me i'm a huge crowbar fan and uh, for me the lasting dose is just a great album opener. Yeah. yeah i got to meet him uh at that club that i was dissing earlier uh the cafe 611 they, they played there and uh, I got to meet him and talk to him. And yeah, he was really nice. Yeah, I, I, it's just, I think I, you sometimes just get a feel for the musicians that you love, don't you? That, that Whether they're really in it for the right reasons or mm-hmm. whether they're just, you know, just they're putting on an act. And he, yeah. he just, he it's just genuinely is. is. Yeah. yeah. And I, I've got a lot of respect for him. And, you know, some, some Crowbar albums in more recent years have not been as, as, as great as some of the other ones, but I just almost don't mind because he just is, he just is Kirk. He does crowbar and this is great. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also as a side note, uh, the, the, he was part of uh, down, obviously mm-hmm. um, uh, who are another great band and uh, downs uh, record. Nola, my daughter's called Nola. And, uh, which was obviously nothing to do with the down first record because we have no connections in New Orleans. But um, quite a few people have said to me, did you name Nola after down's first record? I'm like, no, but it was a great bonus. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Nice. Very I think cool. he did he rejoin uh, Down recently too. Yeah, I think so. Really? I haven't heard that. Are Down still operational? I mean, are they doing? Yeah. Well, no, I think so. they did a. Was it just like a limited tour? Or what did they do? Yeah, he was definitely there, mm-hmm. man. I'm trying to remember what was going on. Mm-hmm. If that was a one-off thing or. Mark, have you heard the new Crowbar album? Mm-hmm. Have you listened to it? Uh, I've heard just two or three tracks. I haven't heard it all yet. Okay. Also, also awaiting vinyl. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's pretty good. Yeah, I like I, it. I need more time with it, but it's pretty good. It's heavy as fuck, that's for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just a great riff writer for me. Great riff writer. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in love loaded with riffs. Every album. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so Jay wants us to do mm-hmm. uh, honorable. So um I had a death song on my list, but I had another one, and that was Infernal Death from Scream Bloody Glore. Nice. Um High on Fire's Fury Whip from Death is This Communion. I'm a really big fan of that one. Um, Hunt the Buffalo on Slow Forever mm-hmm. from Cobalt. Yeah. And um, I think I mentioned this one too, Axioma Ethica uh, Odenai by Enslaved on the the album. That's the same title. Um, I had more, but I cut them out of this list because I didn't want to look at them <laughs> because yeah. it was so hard to choose. Yeah. Uh, my my number one, um, a lot of the the masses, a lot of people like George will pick Angel of Death as the standout first Slayer track, but but, but not me. Uh, my number <laughs> one is South of Heaven by Slayer, and the album South of Heaven. <laughs> I fucking love it. Is that that sinister intro guitar on that opener is incredibly compelling, a lot more so to me than Angel of Death. 
And it's just one of the most memorable uh, opening riffs ever. In my opinion, I love. But Angel of Death is more of a banger, which was what I was going for with from. Yeah, no, I, it's perfectly reasonable. I'm just giving you the business, George. Stop giving uh, me the business. <laughs> I love to. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just I love how uh, this song, South of Heaven, also crushes, but at the same time, it lets you know that this isn't just Slayer on thrash autopilot. You know, they slow things down on this record, and I don't think people expected that. Um, they, they let you. They did wade. not. They let you wade in a river of hot hellfire before they shove your face underneath it. And that to me is fucking metal. And it's because hell awaits, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. I like this Mark Deeks. He's sharp. He is. He's on top of that. I just I've just I've just had a really dark moment in my mind that I've just suddenly remembered one of the tracks I was going to include in my top five, but I was driving when I thought of it. And then forgot to write it down, and I'm now really kicking myself. I forgot to include it, so it's going to have to be an honorary mention, right. even Throw though it, it would have absolutely made my top five. Throw it out. Uh, Enchantment by uh, Paradise Lost, the first track. Oh, oh, yes. yeah. First track on Draconian Times. Yes. Um, it was the first Paradise Lost song I ever heard. When that when Draconian Times came out, I was you know getting into rock music and. I remember exactly where I was in a big record store in Newcastle. They were playing it on the radio, like the in-store radio, as it were. And uh, I stopped in my tracks. I was away home from, on my way home from school. I'm like, what? What, what is that? What is that? Bought, bought the album instantly, and I've been a huge Paradise Lost fan. For uh, so, so for your list, all you need is a simple reminder. Ah, ah, you should host a metal podcast. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. That yeah, was a pull. You got to give I me also, credit for that. That was a pull. That was really oh. good, George. That was good. Uh, uh, I also forgot one too. I had uh, my honorable mentions, and it's a moral eclipse by Caven and, and the album Until Your Heart Stops. So they just out, uh, announced a new album in 12 years. Uh, first album in like 12 years, I think. And that's really good news uh, to me. And it came at a time when I was combing through my, uh, my top five candidates for this list. But uh, that band has gone down through a lot of different musical paths in their career, but that album was their heaviest and most metal. And, and it's just a, just a vicious opening track that hooked me. And I've been a big fan of theirs ever since. So, Cool. Maddie. Um, let's see. Of what I wrote down for honorable mentions, uh, the last two mold album, the song Beg for Life really mm -hmm. was a killer intro track. Uh, the Exorcist by Possessed. Nice. Bat Battery by Metallica. Um, Angel of Death by Slayer. Obviously, Dope Smoker by Sleep. <laughs> First and last track. Yeah. <laughs> better intro than the entire the entire album. Yeah. Um, my number one was the first song I ever heard by this band. Um, I feel like I'm kind of completing the trilogy when I say this, but it is more ensemble off of the album Seasons in the Abyss by Slayer. Wow, you did. All right. Uh, Slayer, Slayer Patrick. presented a huge on this list. Well, in three my, records in a row, too. As yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Nicely done. In my sixth grade life, I mean, just listening to that blast beat, um, I was literally blown away, and I still am to this day. So, mm. we're ensemble. Nice. Hmm? Gian? Slayer! Slayer! No, it's fucking Slayer. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. So, uh, my honorable mentions... I actually also had in Slaves, Ethica Odina, which is the I opening track from the album. Uh, a track that I had unbelievable amounts of enjoyment 
watching Jay's face change when I played it for him for the first time. Huh? I, <laughs> yeah, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> I, went, I went to Jay's house, and he took me out for a really good time. We got pizza and beer and hung out in his house and listened to fucking vinyl. That was one of the best nights I had in ages. Yeah, Just sitting here talking music and drinking beers and playing with his cat. Yes, we had fun. But I played for him the opening track from uh, Aranzi Pazuzu's, I cannot pronounce the album, so I'm not going to try. But Mark the song can do it. Is, uh, yeah, He's good on the finish. <laughs> And I remember saying to Jay, I said, have you heard this yet? And he said, no. And I played it for him. And he's like, fuck, I got to go buy that now. I mean, well, was we, had, we were all into the newest one at that time. Right. And you were like, yeah, but dude, have you heard this? And we, yeah. And that, that still is. It's just, yeah. and if you've ever seen them live when they play that, it's just like, what the fuck? Yeah. They're really interesting, Bon, aren't they? They oh, are. God, they're really interesting, Bon. And on stage, it's even, it's even more crazy and insane and atmospheric and wild and they go so many places and I've seen them. I saw them once with George at MDF and they were awesome there. And then I saw them with Warren, our good friend Warren, uh, when they play with horrendous, uh, an insect arc in this small little club in Baltimore, both times, just crazy. Uh, a few more songs, uh, for my honorable mentions. I'm not a big stoner metal fan, but I do love spiritual beggars and they have a song called left brain ambassadors, which is, amazing off the ad astra album just really great cool band great yeah. band nice to hear them getting a shout out yeah yeah and band. i'm a bigger fan of the earlier stuff it's a little more grittier it's not as um you know swedish metal uh love goes a lot towards that kind of bluesy sound uh, after a while some of the the musicians love that kind of richie blackmore sound and i like the earlier stuff's a little grittier so um but they're a great band and then uh I tried to pick a Devin Townsend song, couldn't pick one, so I just went with Addicted uh, because how do you not like Devin Townsend? I love him. So, uh, all right, so leading into my number one, Jay mentioned Where Eagles Dare. I am a, uh, a former drummer, I don't play anymore, but any song that opens with drums catches me. So Where Eagles Dare, the very first album with Nico, what do they do? They have a drum fill to open up the album. Sounds awesome. Rush. They disappear for six years. The band's pretty much broken up after Neil Peart's all his issues he's had with his family, his wife, and his daughter dying. So what do they do for their next album that they come back? They have Neil Peart open up with an amazing drum fill on One Little Victory. So this leads me into my final song. I'm going to say just a few words to describe it. This guy's been in the band for 33 years. He's a fucking member. He's not a fucking <laughs> villain, okay? People get over it. Oh, you don't know this where this is going. <laughs> is the painkiller. What a way to fucking open an album after you put out two <laughs> shitty fucking albums prior to that. You came back with all balls over it. The dude's a band member. Get over yes. it. You know, God. I was thinking about this the other day, John, and priests are the masters at being revitalized by new blood because yes. painkiller was his first record and i personally think redeemer of souls is great but firepower is great too and those are the richie records yeah i know i have high hopes for this next priest record i hope so yeah, yeah. i mean and it's kind of weird uh like glenn has been coming out for a number of shows this tour yeah. so um he made some comments about it too. He said it's going to be every priest fan's dream. Uh, that there's some proggy '70s mm. style stuff on this Ooh. one. So I said, yeah. that's what he said. The only well, thing the last record is great. So oh, yeah. proggy is not the word for it, but you know what I mean. Well, they they 
touched a little bit on it. At the Jay, time, at the time, they were proggy, if you ask me. They were proggy, you know. I will say one last thing. Jay, I saw your set lists from your show, and while it was great that you got to see Glenn, it kind of sucked that they killed uh, Invader in the set list to bring Glenn out. That's the first time I've ever seen Desert Plains, though, so that was kind of cool. Saw that in 82 when they played that and screaming for vengeance. Yeah, I was really, that was definitely one of my bucket list ones with them. Um, it wasn't, yeah, the, best, it wasn't the It wasn't the best I've ever seen set list, though. Not by them. I thought the la- the firepower tour was pretty fucking good. Oh, the, the show that George and I saw was yeah. crazy, what they played well, that night. Well, you had Saints in Hell, too, so. Fuck yeah. Saints in Hell. Um, a bunch of my honorable mentions have already been mentioned, so I'm going to just read them fast, but they were all here, so I think we all have similar ways of thinking about things. Fury Whip, Free Wheel Burning, by the way. Oh, I think yeah. it's such a fucking killer album opener, and I know there's three Priest albums in a row here, but Exciter and Rapid Fire. Yes. And you could take Exciter off either the live record or Stained Class. It was a little more shocking when it was Stained Class, but sounds better on Unleashed in the East. Battery is on my list. Where Eagles Dare is on my list. Assault Attack by Michael Schenker is on my list. Overkill by Motorhead is on my list. Um, uh, Tom Sawyer. I mean, that that's fucking an amazing, cool fucking keyboard entry into that. Angel of Death. And then finally, with a nod to the British stuff I love, Princess of the Night is a great fucking... Oh, yeah. record. What's the name and of that I, band again? Saxon, and I've been listening to a lot of Saxon. <laughs> is that your one or your last honorable? <laughs> last honorable. Okay. Okay. Well, the, the new Saxon album is really good. Saxon. It is. Saxon, Saxon. Whatever. I don't care. I'm going to mispronounce everything. I, no, I'm giving Jay shit. Yeah, <laughs> I finally cured up myself of that for years. I used to say Saxon. Sax, what did I say, John? Saxon. 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 Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, by the way, I've fallen back down into the Saxon, you know, oh. fucking hole, which I do from time to time. And Matt is always Saxon. <laughs> oh. So sax score. My my number one is a live <laughs> rendition of a song. So it opens the live album, but it also actually opens the album that it was originally on, for which this album was the tour. It's one of my favorite records of all time. I honestly think these guys nail it on a regular basis with opening tracks or at least did back when they were highly and fully operational (laughs) highway star on made in japan it kind of creeps to life a little bit because they all kind of tune up for a minute and blah 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 and then it just fucking bangs you over the head and it's got amazing richie blackmore guitar solo in it you get to hear ian gillen sing you're always having a good afternoon if you get to hear ian gillen sing highway star definitely on this album It really sets yeah. the fucking tone for this fucking record. Nice. So how we start. Nice. Nice. Specifically, so, and for those of you educated Deep Purple fans, it is the opening track on uh, Machine Head. Machine Head, which is what this album tour was for. So, yeah. And that's a fine version, too. But, whoo, man, this is a fucking motherfucker. <laughs> All right. So, I have four honorable mentions. Uh, only one of them has been mentioned. And just now by Jay free wheel burning from Judas priest yeah. defenders of the faith. Um, <clears throat> that's a ripper. Uh, Exodus bonded by blood. I, for, you know, it's my favorite Exodus album. I don't care what you say, Jay. Uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's a killer song, you know, bang your head against the stage and metal takes its place. Bonded by blood. Go fuck yourself. Um, 
going a little bit further back, Kiss Detroit Rock City opening destroyer. Oh, nice call. That's a good call. Yeah. yeah. Nice. That's that's you know, if you're if you if you if you're seeing Kiss as someone from Michigan originally, uh Detroit oh, yeah. Rock City is just it's like, you know, get up, you know? Uh get down. And my my final honorable mention uh, which I I thought might have been said at some point, uh, and and it's sort of a cheater because it's it's like such a, a massive part of this album. But Rush twenty one twelve. Oh no, that's not a cheat because you could even just say the first two minutes of it if you wanted to. No, that's not a cheat at all. Yeah. Oh. Um. But yeah, I mean, wow, come look on. at all the Rush love. I'm the I'm the big Rush fan. I didn't mention one Rush song. All right, well, but, I oh, sort of did, but now that's awesome. My number one with with honorable mentions, we've had a few overlaps, but I don't think on our list itself we've had any overlaps. Just one painkiller. Oh right. Oh, that's okay. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the other one. We shall defend our island, whatever oh, the cost yeah. may be. Iron Maiden, Aces High, with the Churchill speech, which is why I wanted the track two, Marcus, on because track one is just Churchill talking. No, but I don't on the CD and perhaps on the album. I don't think there's any space between the two. Things. Ah, so then it's actually part of the track. Fair oh, enough. You know, it's interesting, Jay. On the original, I wonder if it was all one. So here's the weird thing for you too about that record, is that if you listen to the CD or MP3 version, the intro to Power Slave is tacked onto the end of Back in the Village. Yeah. So that so that if you listen to Back in the Village, then you hear you know the whole kind of. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. And then all of a sudden you're into whatever next song you listen to if you're not listening to that song. Yeah. Mm. I'll allow it. But, you know, I, I, I mean. Listen, I was listening to that record just the other day. And I'm telling you, dude, that 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 part at the end of Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, it honestly uh, brings tears to my eyes when it spills over. Uh, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. From Live After <laughs> Death? No, no, just this, uh, just the, the album version. The curse they live, they live down in their eyes. The mariner he wished they died. Uh-huh. He died. That whole thing, and then down in falls comes the rain. No, oh, that's dude. that's the part that yeah, that's that's the get you right here. But then you hear the waves after that, and the guitars spill over. It never fails to get me. I, uh-huh. I can't listen to it every day, but if I listen to it once every five months or one year, it'll bring tears to my eyes. Yeah. Well, hey, a- go ahead, George. No, finish. I was gonna say. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. The uh, original, not the original, but this is the one that has the three bonus tracks from uh, when they recorded in England. It's one song, Aces High, in the uh, speech. And then on the reissue is when they separate them. Okay. But now that's the live album, though. What is it on Power Slave? It's not on it's Power, not Power Slave. Power Slave. Mm. It's only on the live album. Oh, God. Isn't that I'm, funny? I'm sure. I, that's mm-hmm. wild. It's been a while since I've fucking paid attention to that, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, yeah. as soon as we decided on this, like, first thing I thought of was Aces High. Because, yeah. uh, because you know, I mean, that was my first Maiden album in 1984, 85, yeah. whatever it 84. was. Uh, and it was just like, wow. You know, up to this point, I've been listening to ACDC and some Black Sabbath and Ozzy. And all of a sudden, boom, Iron Maiden, Aces High. That was like, whoa. Okay, so that was automatically my first thought. But then nothing, like, stirs you up to, like you know, fist pumping metal madness than, than hearing the Churchill speech before that. I mean, cause that's just, it's just so inspiring. Well, I'm actually curious, Mark, what do you think of Iron Maiden? Cause you haven't said anything about that band. Oh, don't put me on the spot. Mm, yeah. I did. You did it. Too late. <laughs> you be the first, trust me. So here is the true story. So, uh, Nick, 
Nick and Nick and Nick and Winterfell is a huge Iron Maiden fan, like really, <laughs> really generous sort of uh, Iron Maiden fan, and it's a style of metal that I've never been into, <laughs> and so I was the one. I was always the contrarian on, on Iron Maiden. I never, ever, ever liked Iron Maiden. Wow. Interesting. Un- until literally about three months ago. <laughs> what changed your mind? And I'd been listening to loads of... Um, I've been listening to quite a lot of, sort of melodic doom stuff, like sort of candle mask kind of stuff, which I really like. And mm-hmm. uh, as I say, I go through periods of listening to different stuff. And sometimes pennies drop with me with bands and um after after years years and years and so i said to nick one day do you know what it is i'm gonna give iron maiden one more go <laughs> and 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 i and, and that and by the way this is not me saying i thought they were shit or anything but not nothing of the sort i just didn't get really it feel it yeah wasn't your shit and, and um i i set about listening to the entire Iron Maiden catalogue. Wow. In order, because I realised I'd never heard an Iron Maiden album all the way through. Wow. And so uh, I'd only ever heard, like, you know, the hits. Like, all, of course, I'd heard all, like, Run to the Hills and whatever mm-hmm. a million times. But I'd never heard a complete album. So I thought, I wonder what would happen if I just sit down and listen to a complete Iron Maiden album. So I started at the beginning of the, uh, the catalogue, and I only played them once each, and I wanted to see where I thought, like, just my... Is it almost like trying to recreate as if I was there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One album, one album, one player each. And I got to about nine albums in <laughs> when I was thinking, yeah, I'm starting to sort of, it's my yeah. interest is starting to wane a bit now. Sure. But, but that kind of run of album, t- like three to six or whatever, like where all the sort of uh, summer and time and power slave and, and, mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, so I suddenly really got it. And I bought about four Iron Maiden albums on, on vinyl. Nice. Wow. And, and so I, I don't think they'll ever be one of my favorite bands, but I, it's weird. I, I, do you know what it is? It happened, it, it's happened with other bands over the years where I suddenly, yeah. like the, the guys in Winterfell are big Hate Forest fans, the Ukrainian band. Mm. And, and I've been, always been like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. And then recently it happened with them as well. I'm like, oh yeah, I, I don't know. My, my, my your, your taste changed, don't you, as you get older? Just oh, yeah. Like your beer taste changed. There was, you go. Well, holy fuck, worth, I'm glad I asked that question. But also, for what <laughs> it's worth, just and from the confessional side of things, and I think I did mention this once before, but I went through the first 40-plus years of my life not being able to stand Megadeth. <laughs> and, and everybody I knew liked Megadeth, and I didn't get it. And now I do get them, and I, I, and, and I would say I hold them like you old maiden. I'm like, yeah, you know. They're good. Like, I get it now. <laughs> not crazy about them. I still, but I just couldn't fucking stand Megadeth. So they, there are bands like that, man. What are you going to do? Yeah. Hey, what did you think of that last Candle Mask record, though? Yeah, they're a great band. I just, that, I, just th- I just think they're a great band. They're working on a new one right now, and they've still got Johannes or whatever the singer's name is with them. So nice. he's better well, now the, 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 early, the early records are just obviously amazing. Oh, then the they've, magic, got that, yeah. they've sort of got that mid-career bit of dip but then mm-hmm. um you know psalm of the dead and death magic doom and um the self-titled record they, they honestly get... king of the gray islands i think is fucking great too yeah. uh, i like king of the gray islands but and the the new one i thought was one of the best things they've done in a long time mm-hmm. yeah cool nice all right one last thing before we're done and we're not even at four hours yet this is this is good we're moving we're along 
I think Will is the one that brings us brings us down here. You know, he makes us uh... his floating head in the background, just <laughs> disembodied head. <laughs> so we need our album of the episode oh, of every, shit, of everything that anybody's mentioned today. Fuck. What is the uh, obviously M- Leviathan has been mentioned, so we know Matt. <laughs> You do, uh, but but uh, Mark, of, sax on it though. Of everything that you've mentioned or any of us have mentioned, what what oh, album would you say it was probably the one that like stood out to you the most that you liked the most? Well, so like from all of the old classics as well as the new stuff. Any anything or, that or has anything we've said too. Anything that anyone Jesus. has mentioned is fair game as to. Oh, Jesus, yeah, probably should explain that to you better. Yeah, uh, I mean. Probably dirt by Alison Chains. Yeah, it makes there sense. Makes sense. All right. Mark is on. Bitch. I'm gonna go with dirt from Alison Chains too. <laughs> <laughs> because holy shit, that was a really cool discussion that we had with Mark. I didn't expect him to pull that out of there. And and they're just one of my all-time favorite bands. So going with that as well. All right. Well. As mentioned, I am contractually obligated to make Leviathan by Mastodon my album of the episode every time it's mentioned. I am also a suburban dad. Thank you. <laughs> All right, John. Oh, man, this is tough now. And stop going so fast because I still haven't picked mine yet. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I actually put an album down that I didn't mention because I didn't pay attention to reading what we were supposed to do this time. I got confused. I've been feeling well awake. So I have to choose between dirt and Leviathan. And um, <laughs> I will tell you this dirt already has two selections and I'm not going to leave my sex core buddy out there by himself. So I'm going to go with Leviathan. Yes. Just because. <laughs> and if they put sex on that album, I'd like it even more. Reissue. Sex yeah, when I, I die. Like how there's just a battle for the best album. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It is. Well, it's, it's two and two. What do you yeah. got? Leviathan yeah. with sax. <laughs> remix. <laughs> this has never happened before. This the Kenny G remix. It's, it's hard to. I, I can uh, Shit. You know, um, I'm going to say Heaven and Hell since I brought up Neon Knights. Nice. John had left yeah, the cover for us on with saxophone. Really? <laughs> That's such a classic record, dude. It's so fun. So good. Yeah. I'm going to go yeah. for a walk after this pod, and I'm probably going to listen to that record. So, yeah. Nice. Well, you know, I was initially thinking that I was going to go with the Nachachwin album. But that hasn't even been released yet. Mm. And Dirt. <laughs> <laughs> now that it's come up, I'm like, well, duh. I mean, come on. You cannot possibly rate the Nakashwood album higher than Dirt. Exactly. Exactly. I'm contractually obligated (laughs) to go with Dirt. (laughs) So that's what I'll do. And like, that's probably the only time we've ever had anybody had more than one vote for this too. Usually everybody's like, ah, this or that. Everybody has a different album. Victory. Way to unite us, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right well here we are together. we're at the end mark thank you so much for coming on and for sticking around and hanging out with us yes um, last one thank you so much for having me i've really really enjoyed myself and so i hope we can I'm stay good. in touch of yeah, course of course fun. you're welcome back fun. anytime new album or not if you're like hey i just want to hang out and drink some beer and talk with you guys you let us know you're welcome and 
you know, the, uh, no, no lip service required your new, your album, uh, take, take up. I can't speak. What's it called? Oh, <laughs> I can't even pronounce the English words. Never mind the other ones. I can't even speak period. Yeah. Take up my bones. <laughs> I love it's it. Fantastic it, record. It's absolutely yes. going to be on my mid year and year end list. It's, it's, it's such a unique listen that, uh, you know, uh, when, when, my, when my friend Derek said, Hey, I know, I know Mark, I was like, Oh, well shit. You know, I, sh- I should, uh, see about getting him on because, you know, it, it's just one of those albums that, that touches you, changes you, moves you. And I really appreciate what you've done here. And, Thank you so much. uh, I, I look forward to hearing more. Yeah, man, I I really, I still can't believe that people are responding like that to the music I've made, but I love it, and I'm really, really grateful. Thank you. You're welcome. And we, sir, are grateful for your time. Wait, Mark, before you go, Jay, do you want to say what you want to say to Mark before we leave? (laughs) Mark, you're the best guest we've ever had. Hey! He He says that to everyone. Yeah, 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 sorry. Even better than Ross the Boss. I'll say that. (laughs) Way better than Ross the Boss. Yeah, well, we can do that. (laughs) Awesome. All right, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mark. We'll be in touch. All right, guys. Talk to you later. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Bye, friends.